kick off episode 372 of Monster Kid Radio with a song from the band The Apaches. They're a cool surf band out of Phoenix, Arizona. This is from their album, The Apaches Take Off. The song is called Breakout. They gave us permission to play their music here on the show. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I know I'm running a little late. This podcast is going out one day later than I would have liked, but you know, it's it's Lucha de Mayo. There there is a a longer match involved. Uh, um, a two out of three falls gauntlet, single, queens of whatever match stipulate. You know what? The wrestling is going to be hot and heavy in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Is what I'm saying. When we get to the movie, there's going to be a lot of wrestling talk too, but. I always try to bring it back to the monsters, so so it's still relevant. It still counts, right? My name is Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show that I write, produce, and host, and I am thrilled to wrap up Lucha de Mayo with another new voice here on the show. Now, not too long ago, I appeared on an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes. It's part of the Two True Freaks network over at twotruefreaks.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Well, the man behind that show, Jason Giaconetti, had me on there to talk about The Mummy's Hand, and I wanted to have him here on Monster Kid Radio to talk about a Luchador monster movie, so he and I are going to break down Samson versus the Vampire Women. That's right, not Santo. Samson versus the vampire women. We're going to talk a little bit about why it's Samson instead of Santo, as well as a little bit about what Jason's into, where his podcasting voice came from, and yeah, we do mark out about wrestling a little bit, but you know, what? what whatever. I mean, it's still a fun movie. Man, Samson versus the vampire women, it is so good, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Also, in this episode of Monster Kid Radio, we have another installment of Michael Dodd's Vault of Monster Collectibles and a Weird Wednesday report from Jeff Pullier. And feedback with the returning Brenda. She's back on the show this week, and we have a voicemail and an email we're going to go over as well. And there's just so much stuff in this episode, up to and including not one, but two references to Gone with the Wind. I hope it was worth the wait. Let's get into it right after this. Dig this real gone show for a crazy thriller. It's Monsters A Go Go. A horror thriller with the Go Go Beat. Live on stage from Hollywood. See the teenage Frankenstein. See. Help! I need somebody. Help! The Beatles mystically transformed. See Hollywood's golden go go girl, Pat Collins. See. Ethereal materialization of 007 as James Bond. It's the kookiest and the spookiest. It's where the action is. See? Monsters a go go. Terror walks off the stage and into the audience. Free. Two for one pass to anyone who can sit through the entire show. And it's all live. This is the only show that gets away with murder. So come early and get a seat. If you're late, we may put you in a coffin. See? Monsters a go go. Monsters a go go. Monsters a go go. Monsters a go go. Do you enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler? Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, 
or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to tune into B Movie Cast at bmoviecast.com. More frightening than the war of the worlds. More prophetic than things to come. More imaginative than the time machine. Now, H.G. Wells' masterpiece of science fiction, The Food of the Gods. The terrifying tale of man fighting for his life against an ecology gone berserk. Marjo Gortner, Pamela Franklin, the last chance an unsuspecting world has against harmless animals and insects made huge and vicious by the food of the gods, hunting humans in packs, preying on their flesh, the food of the gods. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. The food of the gods for a taste of hell. Today's broadcast is brought to you by the letters M-K-R, Monster Kid Radio. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Here we are on the last week of this wonderful month, Lucha de Mayo here on Monster Kid Radio, talking about luchador monster movies. And, you know, I wanted to go out. Okay, honestly, I can't say I was the one who came up with this. It was our guest who came up with this movie, <laughs> Jason Giaconetti. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio, sir. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, you are the man behind Bots, Bugs, and Babes and a whole bunch of other podcasts. I've played your promo here on the show, and you contributed a segment of the Classic Five a couple weeks back, which was awesome. Thanks for being part of the show, man. Oh, no problem. One of your listeners, who actually also one of my listeners, uh, said to mm-hmm. me, Hey, Jay, you ever hear of this Monster Kid Radio? And I said, No. Because I was kind of new to the whole podcasting thing, like I, I'm not being rude here, but I listen to like my stuff and like that I, my, my friends and like Jim Cornette. So you now are part <laughs> of that same crew. So it's pretty good company to be in. But this way, you made the list before Bruce Pritchard did, and Bruce Pritchard might be coming off the list. So because uh, wow, brother, brother love doesn't he just it, that's enough. That's another story for another day and another podcast. So wow, <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll wow. be honest with you, you have you, you you were added before Brother Love was added. No Steve Austin, no Chris Jericho. Those guys didn't make the list of like, I need to listen every week. You're on the listen every week list. So wow. that's pretty, you know, and I've been going through trying to catch up on old stuff. 
But unlike some people who start at one, I listen to the episode, then I go to the one right before it. So you promo, of course, the next one. But I'm just trying to – it just makes it easier for me to kind of work backwards that way. So I'm not scrolling up and down a list trying to, did I listen to this one, you know, kind of thing? So. Uh, okay, okay. I, I think this is probably a, a record here. This is the quickest somebody's mentioned wrestling here on Monster Kid Radio. <laughs> well, but it's Lucha de Mayo. So, you know, That's you true, to, that's true. You know, it's uh, Lucha Libre, which is uh, such a big part of Mexican culture. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know you guys have talked about this. Uh, Frank was on and Mark and stuff like that. And the guys were on talking about this stuff. But Lucha Libre, it's funny as much as I would say like baseball, like you look back in history and baseball has always been kind of part of American history and stuff like that. Lucha Libre was so important to Mexico and, um, and not just Lucha Libre at the um, Arena Azteca, you know, kind of thing. But like Lucha Libre, even the little gyms that would pop up in these cities and every week the same people would go, uh, you know, these little tiny things. They were so, so important because that really defines their superheroes. Like that's who became their superheroes, their Supermans and Batmans and stuff like that were the guys in the mass and and, it, and it, the mass came later i know for some people but lucha libre is such an important cultural part of of the mexican history and it is taken so seriously even today even though i mean i'll be honest with you some of the stuff is like oh what are we watching you know kind of thing but like uh um, right. you look at like the, the pageantry and stuff but is that any different than an alien wearing a blue suit with red underwear on the outside being you know immortalized sure. somewhere? you know what i'm saying yeah no, I, I am totally in agreement there. It's, and yeah, it, it is such an important part for a long time. Uh, wrestling, Lucha Libre was pretty much the number one sport in Mexico. I mean, it was such an important part of their culture, their entertainment, their identity. Now, now soccer's kind of come in and kind mm-hmm. of supplanted some of that, but you know, for a long time, this was it and its influence can be felt all over the place. I mean, we've got lucha promotions here in the states. You know, the, wearing the mask. You see a lot of that over in Japan. There's so much of that uh, that's just kind of permeated wrestling and and sports entertainment and and pop culture. And I love it. Mm-hmm. I love that we've got it. it's such a unique flavor. And man, I I just sit down and watch this stuff just for hours and hours and hours on end. I'm really looking forward to Lucha Underground coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love that uh, some of the Lucha Underground performers have been turning up in other promotions. Uh, you know, I, I just love watching this stuff, uh, you know, whether it's something like CMLLL, I can't understand the word the announcers are saying, but, you know, I'll still watch it because it's just entertaining. And then, of course, we've got the films. And, of course, we're talking about how important it is to Mexican culture, and the movie we're talking about is an Americanized version of it. Yeah. Well, the funny part is, is that the film we're going to talk about here when you, even the Americanized version, and while they are speaking English, obviously they're overdubbed. Um, right. The story is pretty much exactly the same. It was they didn't have to change a lot. Some of the movies sometimes they change really drastic ideas in the movie. Like mm-hmm. maybe they weren't supposed to be vampires, or maybe they weren't supposed to be mummies, or maybe they weren't supposed to be whatever that might be. They now twisted into that thing. This movie's pretty much on point. One of the the funny things, just real quick, because I, I know if I don't tell this, I'll kick myself. Um, okay. <laughs> so uh, I'm a teacher. As some, some people might know if they've ever listened to me on there. I talk about being a teacher all the time. Um, and I'm sitting in a meeting the other day with a young man. He broke his hand playing soccer and he needs a scribe. And we're talking with his mom. Now, this young man is from Ecuador. His mom is from Ecuador. She doesn't speak a lick of English. He speaks some English and he can converse with us, no problem. And the four adu- other adults in the room are the young lady who is my translator in class, who's a certified math teacher, who they have translating for Spanish because she can do that as well, the ENL teacher in the building, and the guidance counselor who is bilingual. So you would understand that 
everyone in that room, except for me, speaks Spanish. In fact, speaks Spanish fluently enough to have perfect conversations. So they start speaking, and the mother does not speak English, so she's speaking Spanish, and they're going on. And I'm getting most of what she's saying because, let's be honest, we're talking about her son got hurt. We need help with this. Like, I understand all this. I kind of picking up the details. And the guidance counselor turns to me. She goes, do you need us to translate? And I said, no, no, I'm good. I watch Mexican wrestling. And she goes, oh, okay. And went back to the conversation as if that was totally an acceptable thing. <laughs> and it's 100% true. From years of watching Lucha Libre and watching Pure Oesa, which is Japanese wrestling, when I cannot understand anything except bring basta, um, I have started to pick up kind of like, okay, like not with, I mean, I took five years of Spanish. Not that I didn't take Spanish in high school, but I don't speak it fluently enough where I can have a conversation with anybody. You know, I mean, I can ask where the bathroom is. I can figure out, you know, I'm hungry. Where do I have food? But it just was so funny. And I'm like, sit there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, but she totally took that as a legitimate answer. And I was like, oh, yeah, I watch Mexican wrestling all the time. I'm totally good. And she's like, oh, good. And I'm like, nope, don't want a clue. And then we get out of the meeting and the young lady who's with me, she goes, Jay, that was such a bad answer. I go, well, but what do you want me to tell you? Like, do you want me to stop the conversation? She's telling us what's happening. I'm just trying to keep it going. He needs a scribe. Someone needs to write for him. It was just funny as heck. I told my brother, and he's like, well, I could totally buy that, you know, kind of thing, because we used to watch wrestling all the time together. Anyway, so, <laughs> not too diddly-dally. But I felt if I didn't tell that, because it just, just happened, and uh -huh. I was like, oh, my God, look at this just happening as I'm prepping for this show and getting, you know, kind of my lucha history in order and, like, you know, all about that stuff. I was watching the documentary, The Mass Men or whatever it is that PBS did, which is a great documentary. It actually talks about El, El Santo. The first part of it's so about El Santo, then about some mm -hmm. of the minis and like the the second generation, third generation wrestlers and stuff. But I was watching all that stuff, getting ready for this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it happened right in school. You know, I love when wrestling <laughs> touches other parts of my life, and not because I force it in. It's not like when I just call someone like, God, you're, you're such a jobber, and they're like, what? I'm like, exactly, exactly. You know. <laughs> anyway, I, I I've said repeatedly that. Uh, if I had all the time in the world, I'd be doing a wrestling <laughs> show just, just, just because, but yeah. Yeah, I know. Sorry. So, oh, well, no, no, it's all good. Were you talking about the Tales of the Masked Men documentary? Is that what you were talking about? That's a great documentary. Uh, I've got it here on disc at home and uh, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for people to buy it if they're interested. It's also on Amazon Prime too. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Now, these movies hold a very special place in my heart. I mean, I, I could just get lost in them for, like I said, days on end. And, and we're going to talk about your background with these movies and that sort of thing. Sure. But there's something we do with every new guest here on Monster Kid Radio. And I know you know what it is because you did it with your father and submitted it a couple weeks back, which yeah. was incredibly cool. The funny part is, is that like, I mean, obviously the cards are not available yet, right? So right. you'd said, I think he wrote them down and I'm trying to like shake the paper by the microphone, but I don't think it picked it up well enough. And I'm like, <laughs> I got paper. And my dad's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, he's just giving me that look like, what are you doing? Don't worry, dad, it's going to be good. And you know, kind of thing. So my dad and I, um, my dad and I, to be honest, I don't have a whole lot of friends, which is not like shocking when people get to know me, uh, because like I, re <laughs> well, I'm, I'm being serious about it, because like, like I, I kind of expect people to do the right thing all the time, and people tend to let me down, so I tend to assume everyone's going to always let me down and then not be disappointed. You know what I'm saying? But my dad is one of the few people that every, I mean, we'll talk every day, and I'm lucky to have that relationship with him. And we go to like we're going down to we're going to Jersey Fest in September. He just registered me to take for my my birthday present. Um, we're doing the one-to-one -one wall hanger of Lon Chaney uh, Sr. as the fan of the opera. So we're going to be painting a one-to-one -one wall hanger of that to go along with the 
like the one the one I put up. I think I put the Boris Karloff as the mummy. I think I put that up on the site for people to see. Like dad and I have this relationship about all kinds of things. It's not just building models and monster movies and baseball and football. Like we, we have a really great relationship as being friends, not just father and son. And by the same token at work, you know, I'm again, we're teachers and we, everyone's professional gets along. One of my best friends at work, he just retired at the age of like 65, right? My dad's going to be 70 was a guy who was that old school kind of guy like my dad. And we used to talk movies all the time. We used to talk old film noir movies and like thing like that. And, and he had a thing for Bridget Bardot, which I mean, let's face it, who didn't? Cause well, she, yeah, I mean, I am a Raquel Welch guy myself or Sophia Loren, but I take right. that, you know, kind of saying or the challenger. Uh, sure. But it's funny how that kind of happens. And dad is one of the ones who, when I said, like, we're going to do this. And he's like, all right, well, I don't want to give the wrong answers. Like, well, dad, there are no wrong answers. Like, well, I'm going to ask you questions, you know, how to answer. But yeah, dad had a good time doing that. He's like, those are good questions, Jay. And I go, yeah, those are just the ones I wrote down. And one of them, I think I threw in the Marshall Thompson one. Uh, oh, I loved that. I loved that. Yeah, I, I always worry about getting too deep into it. But yeah, I mean, I could. Yeah, I love the Martin. It, it's a tear for me on space is one of my favorites. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so good. All I right. So <laughs> for people who don't know, for new people joining us, Classic Five is a game that we play here with guests that come on to Monster Kid Radio. I've got a deck of cards here. Each one of these cards has a this or that, yes or no style question all about classic monster movies. It's more a conversation starter, less of a game. But, you know, it's easier to just say game. Uh, are you ready to play the Classic Five, Jay? I am. All right. And you, you referred to yourself as Jay a second ago. I introduced you as Jason. Oh, yeah. Jay, Jason, what do you Both, prefer? Both, but they call me that. Just don't call me late for dinner. All right. There we go. Here we go. <laughs> Give it one last shuffle. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Card number one right off the top. What movie do you prefer? The Slime People or The Green Slime? Ooh. I'm going to say Green Slime. The Green Slime. <laughs> Here. The reason I'll say that is because while I do like the slime people, the green slime probably holds more of a place in my heart because we didn't have a horror host growing up. We used to have Captain USA on the sure. USA Network, and he would show the green slime on there. And green slime falls into the category of what we call the TBS trilogy. TBS would show the green slime, they would show Squirm, and they would show... Oh, heck, what's the other one? I forgot the other one right now. Now, because now cause I'm on the spot, I forgot it. But there was like a bunch of movies that TBS would show, especially during Atlanta R- Braves rain delay. <laughs> See, this is how crazy it is. That's because that's the channel wrestling was on. So that's what you know. Like, And they would show these <laughs> movies a lot. And it was the late night movies. And on Friday night, if you were watching the WCW Power Hour, they were using on afterwards or after the Braves game. So Green Slime. And it's, it's such a good movie, too. When you look at it now, you like, okay, this is like not that deep a concept. Like, it's not like, oh my God, this is a crazy concept, but they pull it off and it looks great still. Yeah. No, I, I, I love the green slime. Yeah. I love the slime people too, though. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're playing it, not me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, it's all good. Card, card number two, who is your favorite mad scientist? Uh, I don't know if he counts as a mad scientist. Boris Karloff as Fu Manchu. Could that, could he be a mad scientist? Cause he, yeah, I'll take it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, those are some great movies that I think no one remembers. I mean, not saying no one remembers, but let's face it, they're not as remembered because Karloff was so good in so many other things, you know, which are more iconic, like in The Mummy and then in you know, right. Frankenstein. He's so iconic in other roles. I think people forget that. I mean, I think the, I mean, technically he's a he's could be a mad scientist. I mean, he's an evil genius, you know, kind of thing, obviously. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and he's much more mad scientist than I would say Christopher Lee as Fu Manchu in the later Fu Manchu movies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. He's, I, mean, I was just thinking about those the other day too. I was just, oh, he's, 
I don't think Lee's much of a mad scientist. He's he definitely wants to rule the world or kill the world, however you want to spin it. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Something's got to happen there. Big, you know, kind of thing. So right on. All right. Cool. Cool. So card number three. Uh, which movie do you prefer? I was a teenage werewolf, or I was a teenage Frankenstein. Well, that's an easy one for me. I was a teenage werewolf. <laughs> Michael Landon in a powerful performance as the boy possessed. Yvonne Lyon, appealing as the girl who loves him. Whit Bissell, unforgettable as the scientist maddened by the mystery of the werewolf. And Tony Marshall, a tough, friendly enemy. These are official pictures? Yes, Chief. Slash on either side of the throat. You got any theories? He was killed by by a werewolf. Panic penetrates every home when this strange unknown killer hits town, taking hold of the teenage crowd, coloring their practical jokes with hysterical humor that'll make you fall flat on your face with horror. Remember how wonderful it was when you sprang and suddenly dug in with your fangs a soft throat to gush of warm blood? No! No! Nothing you've ever seen has such blood-chilling savagery. Nothing you've ever conceived packs such a spine-tingling jolt. This high school boy, a teenage werewolf. A constant threat of claw-ripping attack to everyone, to the brave and the beautiful. I love the teenage werewolf makeup. So the thing comes down to this. My brother, if you if would love, I'm a teenage Frankenstein because he loves the, the the big fried egg eye and the bandages around there and it going to color. I was a teenage werewolf. The look was just always like what sold me from famous monsters to film. And my dad was had some famous monsters when we were kids, and then we were lucky enough to live during a time when you could actually purchase famous monsters of Filmland magazines for under a small fortune, um, in decent shape. And we had a lot of them growing up. And the look with the with the varsity jacket and the jeans, it just so cool. I've actually built models of both. Um, I've built the big head of the I was a teenage Frankenstein. Luke, my brother, had actually built the model, the other model of I was a teenage Frankenstein, and I helped him with that. He was first learning how to use resin as we were working. But uh, both movies are great. I wish they would put them out on Blu-ray already, clean them up, and put them together in a double feature, which they haven't. You know what I'm saying? I know. I know. I mean, I I know you're a physical media guy. I'm a physical media guy. I love having a disc. When uh, when they announced like Food of the Gods, I'm like, Food of the Gods is coming out. People are like, what? They're like, it's coming out to Blu-ray. They're like, who cares? I'm like, I care. It's awesome. <laughs> I would love if they put them out together. I mean, and the thing, again, I don't, it's all rights being tied up and whatever. In fact, they actually should come out with all three together. How to Make a Monster. I was Teenage mm-hmm. Frankenstein. I was Teenage Werewolf. Because even though How to Make a Monster really is not the same kind of world as them because it's like as if they're movies and now he's making real characters all three together right. work so beautifully how to make a monster has had a dvd release yeah. as a double feature with uh was it blood of dracula yep yep but yeah susan hart's got the rights to the two teenage monster movies and uh yeah we'll just leave it at that I, okay. <laughs> the problem becomes this, and my dad always will say to me, how come this movie's not on Blu-ray? How come this movie's not whatever? Because the only way you, you can get those movies on DVD ever, whereas if you go to like a convention and it's that great market of like, you know, transferred from VHS to whatever, and 
Um, I said, well, dad, it's all got to be rights. It's got to be rights. It's got to be rights. And it's always, that's my answer to him. And he's like, but it's got to be more than that. I'm like, yes, there's definitely more than that. And I know sometimes they'll hold movies for like, you know, the 50th anniversary or 60th anniversary. If you're like, how come this didn't come out yet? You know, and they'll hold it for that. But this is a situation where these are not being held for any anniversary. It's just whatever the case might be. It's one of those rights issues. And you're like, oh, and it, yeah, it's hard because my brother and I grew up, you know, in the eighties kind of thing. And, 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 you know, we read famous monsters and we watched these things and we had, my dad was a, an avid VHS collector. And we, we watched these movies. We saw movies that no one else had seen. And I don't just mean like we went and saw aliens in the movie theater when all our friends were like, you're not allowed to see that it's rated R. And I'm like, shut up. Like not that kind of world. Like we would saw movies that they had no clue. They're like, what are you talking about? Black scorpions. Amazing. You know, kind of thing. And <laughs> it was that kind of world we lived in where it was like, Will these ever come out? Now, Black Scorpion just got a Blu-ray release uh, recently, like within the last year, and it yes, looks yes. good. And my dad's like, I don't know if it's any better than the DVD. Again, Dad, remember, your eyes can only see at the end of what they can see. No matter how good the picture might be, your eyes are always what they are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. So, but not to tangent off that, but it'd be nice to see them all together. I think that would be a, a great set. And to be honest, if that set ever came out, I, I mean, I know people are like, oh, physical media is dead, but yet. It's still they still keep selling. There's a niche market for this. There's a niche market. There's a boutique audience that would love to snatch those up. Susan Hart has the rights to those two and a handful of other of the mm-hmm. AIP pictures. Yeah. And uh, at one point, it was rumored that it was just she was waiting for somebody to come across, come along with the right deal. I don't know if that's the case anymore. I don't know. I I've exchanged yeah. exactly one email with her over the years, and right. she referred me to Wade Williams. And I don't know what his stake is in these movies at this point but yeah it's just yeah too bad it's too bad it's a shame it is a shame all so. right card number four imhotep karis or claris it's kaharis the oh, uh car the, well, the, well yeah, yeah you know no no i'm not correcting you but it's kaharis because he is what all mummies are now based off of if people go back and listen to the episode of bots bugs and babes where we talk about the mummy's hand right <laughs> all of the tropes that have been established are there as much as I like Tom, I mean, Tom Tyler's performance is outstanding in The Mummy's Hand. Right. And I love a Lon Chaney. I think Lon Chaney took it to the, uh, Junior took it like to a different level in his because remember, we talked about he's rotting and his fingers are falling off. Christopher Lee in The Mummy, to me, is that's my best, my favorite moment movie period of all time. It's just awesome. And then when you find out the squib went off and burned him, the door wasn't fake, so he separated his shoulder. When he's carrying her through the the end of the movie, he smashes his legs all up. You're like, man, that's Christopher Lee right there. But yet he was he was a great suit actor. But to me, Kaharis is the is what mummies are, and what if, when you think about a mummy, and again, there's all different kinds of mummies. Uh, when you think of what that is, that's the mummy that uh, people will you say walk like a mummy. They'll immediately put their hand up and drag their leg. That's not Karloff's Imhotep. If you had called that movie the Egyptian. I think people would have kind of not not saying people would kind of understand more when the mummy's only in it for what a minute, not even a minute. Like how long is he in the movie? You know, yeah. I mean, the makeup is outstanding. I mean, Jack Pierce's makeup is killer, but even the old age makeup on Karloff is spectacular. But when you say a mummy movie, people are thinking guy wrapped up in bandages, going, you know, looking for tannin leaves. Yep. And and you don't want to give them all the tannin leaves because that would at least a monster the world has never seen before, which I currently would love to see. <laughs> right on. All right. Card number five. What is your go-to monster movie to introduce people to classic monsters? 
Mm, boy. Okay, so so we're talking. We, you mean giant monsters or like just just classic mm-hmm. monsters in general? Because yeah. giant monsters, we are going to watch either them, which is one of the best movies ever made. Period. Or Beast in Twenty Thousand Fathoms, which is just another great movie. Those two, I usually are ones. If someone's like wants to see like an older movie, because there there's nothing boring happen there. You're definitely watching them. Is to me is the superior of the two films I just mentioned. Okay. Um, because the the movie's just so well written, and it's the acting is so on point. Even watching it now, it just sucks you in. You know, and and the fact that the sound the ants make is the sound that here is basically from it should be happening currently but with you know the weather is crazy um at night all the crickets you hear in the swamps and everything here like well the woods and stuff here uh-huh. that's the sound the ants make uh, so cool. my entire childhood was that and so if i'm thinking if i want to have someone who want to see some like universal i mean you can't go wrong with creature because creature is really good but personally i've always been a werewolf guy i mean the wolfman Lon Chaney's Wolfman is great and how tortured Lon Chaney is in that movie. You can see the whatever in there, but just put a movie on. We put on them. That'd be great. Unless I didn't really like them. Then we could put on like Manos Hands of Fate and that could get them going. But that's a different, that's a different story for a different day. I don't think, no, that's not, you know what's not true? I should say, I shouldn't say that because I actually like Manos all the way through. Yeah, it's good. So, <laughs> right. Anyway, on. so what I, I actually had a question for you. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we turn this around. So, as I've mentioned here, I'm a teacher, so I kind of do my thing. And I found my voice for teaching from certain things, which helped me find my podcasting voice. And I know you've done work um, with film and productions and all this different stuff. Where did you find your voice for podcasting or just even performing, I should say? Not even just podcasting. I was a drama kid in high school. Hmm? You know, I did improv and stuff on the stage and that sort of thing. And even before that, if I go back and look at... If I really think about it, I think I did some like school play stuff in grade school and that sort of thing. So that, that's probably where some of my performance came from. That and in addition to thinking I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up, there there was a small burst of time there where I thought I was going to be a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> Which I haven't really talked too much about on this show. I mean, people who know me know, but uh, I was the front man for a group called So Damn White there for a little while. Um <laughs> And that's actually where my name, Brother D, came from, which was the name I used as my, uh, for my yes. podcasting when I did my zombie podcast a few years ago. Um, so, I mean, there's some of that as well. And then I'm kind of a ham. You know, I just always have been. But as far as, like, the actual performance part of it and, and doing the podcasting thing now, I mean, I'm coming up on – I've been podcasting over, for over 10 years now. And yeah, yeah, uh, it's yeah. – you know, it's just a part of who I am these days. Um Give me a chance to get in front of a, a group of people and talk about monster movies or just movies in general. I'm I'm all in, man. I just was wondering because I know I know uh, Brenda will often mention how you're trying to tone it down, and keep it like low key, because you will be too big to get you'll get on her microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nail. Um, and I totally understand that because I have had people say to me, "What's going? Is everything okay in here?" And I'm like, "I'm just teaching math. You know, I can be excited about you know factoring. Like that's not a problem to me." And you know, I do five shows a day, and while some of them might seem similar, they're not exactly the same. And it's hard because it's that projection and you know, learning to speak, you know, and push the air from you know out, yeah. you know, instead of just mm-hmm. you know all those things that go along with it that no one ever teaches you unless you actually do the drama stuff and like singing and like and or performing. And I never did any of that. I mean, I was the ghost of Christmas uh, future or present, whatever present, because I was supposed to have the wreath on my head, and that's awesome. When I'm in fourth grade, going. 
you will never know Ebenezer. Like, you know, that's not really accurate. <laughs> like, I mean, and and to be honest with you, I mean, I never thought about that, that kind of stuff. But to me, when I start teaching, I had to find my voice. I had to find, like, who am I going to be as a teacher? And obviously, I'm influenced by other teachers. I, I work in sarcasm like others work in oils or, you know, pastels. Works sometimes because I teach high school. But I think a lot of where I found my voice, and this is where I was kind of you know, finding out where, because I, I always ask people, I know like where my brother did and things like that. But I'm, I've talked to other uh, you know, people who podcast who I'm not with all the time. Like, where did you find that voice? Where did you find that? And I think a lot of mine, to be bluntly honest, and I know we keep going back to this, it's from pro wrestling and Mystery Science Zero 3000. And I think that's one of the reasons why, like when I'm, projecting in the classroom and people are like, how did you do that? We'll be standing in the auditorium and let's, we did this thing where we had the entire junior and half the sophomore class. So 500 kids, I'm just, you know, roughing They're They're when they're my age, right? They're women, they're mothers, right? Who are, they're like, on the mic, like, everyone, can we speak quiet? We need to sit down and sit down. I'm like, are you joking? I go, no, I'm like, Hey, everyone sit down. Let's go. And they'll all sit down. They're dead quiet because you just had to push, you know, get the air going up and get right. it. You're like, we can't do that. I'm like, oh, you totally can. Besides doing this, I coach, I coach football and lacrosse and stuff like that. I said, I'm coaching little girls lacrosse, five and six and year old lacrosse. And you can hear me all the way across the field come yelling to my girls because they, they're, they're, again, they're five and six and seven years old. So I'm telling them what to do because whether I yell the offense out or not, no one's going to steal what we're doing. One was like, oh, they're going to pass here because they, they pass and no one catches it. It's just, it's throwing, it's throwing chase right now. It's like when Bob Euchre used to catch. Throw the ball and you have to go to the backstop and get it. So at the end of it, like I mean, they push the air up and you get that big, you know, Vince McMahon, like, welcome everyone, like that kind of voice. Right. And I think that's one of the things I try to do. Although my brother swears that the opening of Bots, Bugs, and Babes is just Tony Schiavone going, you know, like, welcome everyone, like this. That's what Schiavone did. <laughs> so anyway. We're gonna we gotta talk about this movie because we have talked about a lot of stuff and not talked about this movie. We, we got to talk about the movie, but you've got. I think we need to intro this movie. Hey, take it away, man. I think we need to intro this movie. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Monster Creed Radio proudly brings to you the matchup you thought you'd never see: Double J from the Triple B, MKROG himself, Derek M. Cook, proudly bring to you Samson versus the Vampire Women. And if you ain't down with that, I got just two words for you. So I think that intro would probably sum up what this is going to be about here. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I worked on that. I worked on it a little bit, but but you see what I'm saying? Like that voice, like yeah. find that thing. Because I mean, I I mean, you know, I can sound big all the time, but it's hard because when you're sometimes dealing with, you know, things, sometimes you don't need to sound big. But when when you're introducing a San, a Santo movie, Al Santo, yeah. you know the. I mean, El Santo, let's, I'm going to be blatantly honest here, and people don't have to agree with me because that's cool because you can be wrong. Um, El Santo, <laughs> the level, his level of celebrity is like Hulk Hogan in the 80s. Yes. Like, I don't know if you were a Hulkamaniac, but I was a Hulkamaniac. But think about that. Hulk Hogan level, or like Ricky Dozen from Japan. He is a national thing. If, you, if you've never seen pro wrestling and you lived in America in the eighties, you knew who Hulk Hogan was, right? You knew who that was. He, it's like Santa Claus or Ronald McDonald, or he's bigger than life. El Santo is that big. And the scary part about El Santo was he started off as a heel with no mask on. And he put a mask on one day and said, Oh, let's try this out. And shockingly it worked. Yep. You know what I'm saying? 
isn't that the beginning of I want to say isn't that Creature in Black Lagoon or one um, I remember where it's like um, the most monumental things in life usually start with a very small event or something like that. And maybe it's not Creature. Maybe that's um, it's definitely a movie from the fifties where it's like little things sometimes start big change. Yeah, it sounds like a Jack Arnold kind of thing. Yeah, to, like does, a, like right? a little mini science lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because Jack Arnold's all about educating you. Right. He's like, look. I'm going to give you monsters and stuff, but you got to listen to the science. And even if it's not real science, it's good. Right. You know, kind of thing. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the, putting the silver mask on and El Santo, you know, the saint. And let's be honest, El Santo was surely not your normal baby face uh, in the ring. He was not your, I mean, he was not, he was a, he was a technical, right. but he was certainly not your baby face. We would know like the white meat baby face, Ricky Morton sell on his knees. Oh my God. You know, he's a guy who does what needs to be done. I know some people might not agree with me, but to me, as a movie, this movie, and it's all this weirdness it has in it, is one of the best Santo movies out there. And I know some people will say, no, 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 it's Champions of Justice or it's whatever this. That's fine. I love this one because it definitely encapsulates everything that is Santo about being the superhero. It encapsulates the fact that he's not your white mead baby face who's out there, you know, whatever. I mean, he's certainly not above doing it what needs to be done. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I don't think there's any more description at the end of this movie, and we'll get there, about what needs to be done, you know, kind of thing. But I think that's what's so great about the Santo movies is that when you watch them, uh, and again, and I, and I know eventually Blue Demon came in, and then we start getting into, like, later on Mil Mascaras and, like, the other guys coming in. But this movie is 62. They started filming, like, January of 62, this came out in 62 in Mexico. It earned a much more significant profit than they were expecting. It actually opened in October, and it actually made money. Hey, we can make money with these, you know, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a great Santo film, but there's also a lot of other things happening in this movie that I really enjoyed. I mean, it's it, it's got the luchador action. It's got the a couple of wrestling matches in the, in the mm-hmm. middle of the movie, and one ends spectacularly but uh you know it's also got some other really great gothic mm-hmm. horror movie trappings in this yeah uh, the whole beginning of the movie with the the vampires coming up the uh, the queen of the vampires talking about what needs to be done and it's just really good horror filmmaking and yeah. you know you could really tell they, they bumped it up a notch here they really tried to put all the the, the gloss on this as they could or cobwebs, I guess, in this case. Yes. Uh, and the special <laughs> effects are great. Some of the, the, the shadow work is amazing. The makeup uh, around the woman's eyes when they keep closing in on getting a close-up of the vampire woman, her eyes are just phenomenal. There's some really good work going on here. So I, I see a lot of the uh, the previous Mexican horror movies kind of having their influence here. And then we throw on Santo and it, it's like the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, man. Yeah, you know, chocolate yeah. and peanut butter two tastes two great tastes. They go right together. It's it's awesome because right. the movie doesn't. I mean, it doesn't open up with like a wrestling match or open up with Santo. Like it opens up looking like a old Universal. It's a very gothic feel, and I was like, I think that's what sucks you in too. You know, we start looking at things. Oh, okay, we're we're telling a story here, and there's actual story. Now, the women in this, the vampire women, their makeup. That with that like crusty, like, you know, I've never moisturized in my entire life and I live in the sun kind of makeup. Right. Is perfect because they're supposed to be 200 years old, dried up women. They kind of look like mummies. Now, not not mummies like Egyptian mummies, but like Aztec mummies. They're kind of dry. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, Tundra is, I uh, had her name, 
that is uh, uh, Ophelia uh, Montanesco. Okay. She's beautiful. She is beautiful. She was in other uh, things as well. In Tundra, she's the one who has to go get, obviously, the, go kidnap the girl, right? Can I get her, bring her back? Because she messed up before. It's like the opening of Monster Squad. They had this, this, this. They blew it. <laughs> and I felt like that's what this was. She was like, oh, I blew it. Oh, I'm sorry. She's beautiful. And when she becomes, I mean, when she comes back, to you're like, okay, oh, good, no problem. I'm not going to be looking at, like, supposed to be looking like haggard women the whole time. We should figure all of them are going to start coming back. And then Lorena uh, Velasquez, excuse me. She's Lorena amazing. Velasquez. She's amazing. She, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She is so good as Zorna, the, the, the queen of the vampires. I mean, she has 125 credits to her name. She did a whole bunch of other Santo movies. <laughs> she did. Yeah, she did quite um, a few. And it's it's great. I mean, she is really good in these movies. Uh, yeah. Huge influence, uh, or excuse me, huge impact uh, yeah. on the subgenre here. Like, she was in Santo uh, Contra Zombies 1962. You know, she's the second bill. She's second bill in every one of them that Santo's in. Or she's top bill if... There's not a here like wrestling women versus the Aztec mummy. I think she's top bill and wrestling women versus the Aztec mummy is a little different than this movie, but you know what I'm saying? But um, it's so but, good. It's oh so my God. Good. So just to let people behind the curtain a little bit here, when we first were discussing like, which movie do you want to do? And I said, well, I have the Aztec mummy set because robot versus the Aztec mummy is one of my all time favorites. And people are like, really? And I'm like, yeah, because I got to watch that. My brother and I, we have cousins who lived like maybe like, 20 minutes from us, but we weren't allowed to hang out with them much because my aunt uncle at the time smoked and my dad didn't want to buy people who were smoking, but my grandparents lived in the basement. So we would go over and we would have to stay in the, 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 the downstairs apartment and my cousins would come down. And one of my clearest memories, cause I don't have a whole lot of memories about my grandfather interacting with us. That wasn't about like talking about baseball. Like we could talk Yankees all day, but he wasn't a movie guy and didn't really like, he didn't see the point in wasting your time with like all that stuff. You should be working and making money. We watched, it was on Channel 5, which was the, now it's Fox. It used to be the WNYW sh- uh, channel. They had Robot versus the Aztec Mummy just one afternoon. It just was on. And I'm like, let's watch this. So we sat there and my grandfather sat with us. And my cousin, who's the same age as me, my brother, who's two years younger, and my other cousin, who's four years younger than that, and my grandfather. And we sat there and watched it. When it was done, I was like, I don't, I don't know what we just watched. I wasn't 100% sure because I was little. I was probably like, you know, kind of thing. By kind of not, you know, I'm not super old. They're like, but it's one of those movies that holds a place with me. I never thought about it again until I got older and I saw this movie. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, it never dawned on me that I was watching a Mexican movie called Robot vs. the Aztec Mummy. Never thought, never dawned on me once that it might be related somehow to this whole genre of the Mexican horror industry. Which, let's be honest, the Santo movies and the Blue Demon movies and all those things have their place. And the Aztec mummy stuff have their place and the other stuff, have, you know what I'm saying? They all fit into their own little niche to make that whole cornucopia that is that whole genre. Exactly. So the, uh, uh, what is it? Real quick. Uh, Maria Duval, who plays Diana, she was actually in Santo versus the Stranglers, El Strangladora, right. or Strangladucha, you know? Mm-hmm. Doesn't this just reek of Universal, right? Like you have your Draco, your Frankenstein, your whatever kind of thing, but then that's the star of the movie. Here it's El Santo. But it's the same people coming up in different roles, right? Right. You know, like, and that's the great part because you get comfortable with them and they're believable. I mean, like a guy like George Zuko, you buy that George Zuko. If he's a professor, yes. If he's a scientist, yes. You buy it. You buy that role, of course you do, <laughs> right? It's, it's like, I mean, Karloff and, and Lugosi and stuff were the stars and they did different roles. But, I mean, a lot of people, you, take, you say Bella Lugosi, if they know who you're talking about, they think about Dracula. 
But some of Bella's best work was not in the cape and fangs. I mean, the body snatchers is my favorite, you know, Karloff, Lugosi together. I mean, I know you're supposed to like the black cat or the raven or whatever, but the body snatcher is this great them working because that movie just is so different than a lot of the other stuff you would see, but yet not different. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. One, um, I love him as Dracula. I love Lugosi as Dracula, but uh, yeah, I mean, he was capable and did so much more. I mean, yeah, his Igor right. is amazing, and, and yes, I love the yes. Black Cat, and we're going to be doing the Body Snatchers uh, in the future with a couple of returning guests here on the show. I mean, just wonderful work, and and I, I do feel like you're right. There's this kind of, I don't want to call it a troop, because, I mean, they went off and did other things, too, and I, I don't know how much they really hung out, but there is this kind of troop of, of people that, especially earlier in the Luchador movies, uh, when they're, especially the black and white ones, where there's the same group of people all just kind of making these movies, working at the studio, mm-hmm. doing their thing, and it's all believable. They're all committed. Uh, and, of course, there's a guy who wears a silver mask hanging out with them. Right. Of course. It so, just it yeah. fits. It makes well, sense. This is my favorite part, because when you look at some of the later Luchador movies, he shows up in a suit, or sometimes he's got on a turtleneck or something. <laughs> See, I love he that, shows- though. I love that so much when they, oh, they go out to dinner and they're all, yeah, I love that so much. Right. He shows up at the office the first time, he's got a cape on and his tights. Yeah. And I'm like, did he, what? Did he just come from wrestling? Like, you know, as, as when I first saw him, I'm like, wait, why is he wearing tights? Like, he has no shirt on. Like, I could get if he had his tights on the cape and he had a shirt on, but he's not wearing any shirt. Right kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you go to the doctor to make you take your pants off, because let's face it, if someone's going to tell you something, you, you don't really have much to say if you're not wearing any pants, but you know, like he's coming <laughs> in the office and he's like, you know, I'm like, okay, like I, I I'm willing to buy all of this. Cause I'm willing to buy that, you know, these vampire women are coming back and they bring back their henchmen who are judo masters. I know he says karate, but they are just judo chop to the neck. That is their go-to move. That is their absolute go-to. At one point, is a double-handed one. I'm like, whoa, don't do that, you know, kind of thing. But you're willing to buy that. He comes in, and I'm like, man. And again, now knowing later that it would be them riding, what, motorcycles, right? In that Champion Justice. Or that they all jump in their cars, right? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Isn't there one where they're all on, like, motorcycles riding in? Well, Champions of Justice starts on the motorcycles. But, yeah, Santos not in that one. But, yeah. Right, right, right. You know, but you know what I'm saying. Like, but uh-huh. we're, like the luchadors come, come in and, like – okay, like this is what we're doing. Okay. Like it's not weird because that's what it is, but it's no different than watching the old George Reeves serials and Superman shows up dressed as Superman, like El Santos dressed for action. This is how I action, you know, kind of thing. And it's, it's fine. It just, but it just seems different because you're like, but he's a wrestler, but he's not just a wrestler. And that's the thing is like, it would be really weird to me if uh, we're making a movie and The Rock, who, you know, Dwayne Johnson, who's now the biggest paid actor in the whole world. Right. If he just showed up looking like The Rock, walking in and off, like, what's going on in here? And it's like, why are, why are you wearing, like, Speedos and boots, buddy? You know, kind of thing. Like, it would seem <laughs> weird. But it wouldn't seem weird if that was who he was dressed up as. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's his in-character costume, The Rock. That was, like, a superhero kind of thing. That's why this makes sense. I just get it. First time I saw it, I was like, okay. So he's going to walk around with no shirt on. Got it. And the best part is, I don't think, does he ever open the door of his car or he just jump out of it every time? Like, I, I know I know he probably opens it, but he just jumps in the car, jumps out the car. He just, let's go, because he's a man of action. That's right. You know, El Santo, right? <laughs> There's no subtlety to what he does. He's he's, he's <laughs> El Santo. <laughs> I, I, and you know what? I love I love El Santo. And and being actually a fan of El, um, El Hijo del Santo, 
you know, his son. And now there's El Hijo de Santo's son, which I think is, uh, he calls himself El Santo 3 or something like that. Like, you know, kind of thing. He started wrestling as well because El Hijo de Santo is getting close to retiring or he has retired. Going back and watching old El Santo matches where he's the the technico and the rudos are, you know, the problem. And he has no problem. He'll cheat when he has to. He'll he'll hit you with, the, you know, when he has to because he it's about upholding what's right. That's what these movies are. And I know the comic books were huge in Mexico, the El Santo comics and stuff like that. You know, sometimes good guys, quote unquote, have to do things that need to be done, i.e. like the Punisher or Batman or things like that. Not everyone can be truth, justice in the American way, you know, apple pie on one side and Mickey Mouse on the other. And <laughs> it, it's true. I mean, but, it, but it's true. Like sometimes, to be honestly. To me, I would think it'd be more Blue Demon, and it is Blue Demon at times, you know, who has to do what needs to be done. But El Santo's not playing. He's not here to hear about, like, oh, no, like, well, let's take care of this stuff. The professor, was it? The professor Orloff, he calls him on the phone or whatever the heck that is, right? And then he has that giant screen behind him, and you're like, <laughs> what is that thing in the wall? I Was that in the Batcave in 66 as well? I feel like... Certainly could have been. Certainly could have been. I feel like it might have gone a little north of the border and maybe like, hey, Adam West is like, I think I need that in my cave. You know, kind of thing. Uh, (laughs) Well, and up until that point, this movie doesn't have that fantastic kind of like, what? I mean, because up until that point, you know, it's it could be a universal monster movie from the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and delightfully so. I mean, it's got... You know, the vampire women, it's got the, the bats on the wires, which I love. Mm-hmm. It's got some really cool shadow work. It's got this awesome setup for, for a story, which probably ought to talk about briefly. But then as yes. soon as, as – No, no, no. It's all good. But then as soon as he starts trying to call Santo, it, it takes this left turn and you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. that's right. This is a Luchador movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love when Lucifer, right, That the because they don't show him ever. It's always just the projection on the wall. I love right, that, the shadow. though, so much. It's so great. Later in the movie, when they do it again, it's like nothing's going on. And then she's like, my husband, bam, is on the wall. It's like, what? <laughs> like, it's like somebody's like, oh, I'm behind. We get the, oh, I got the camera. Let's go, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, but yeah, it definitely, <laughs> this movie, I feel like it was, and again, this is all, uh, and, and the movie as it is, there's very little that was added later. The names were changed, you know, to protect the innocent, and like, you know, the, the, the Spanish was dubbed out for English. And there's very minor scenes here or there that are added to kind of like tie things together. But the overall story is exactly the same. So them trying to tell that gothic horror story turn, and leading it into an El Santo film, again, like you said, it, it looks like a 1950s universal horror movie. And like, this could totally be if it wasn't El Santo who showed up, but a detective, right? Well, right. It's just like any other movie. Then, you know? Yeah, it really could have been. I mean, I got a lot of uh, like Return of Dracula vibes off this. I mean, there was really uh, nothing at the very beginning to make you rem- think, hey, there's going to be a guy in a mask showing up soon. You know, it just, it really feels. Now, when the guy in the mask shows up, I mean, it's it's great. I mean, it's, it's El Santo. Yeah, yeah. And I think I've said here on the show before, I've made it pretty clear. I like Blue Demon and Moss Cross Battle. Those are my guys. I like Santo, but I always kind of gravitate toward these other guys. This movie is making me a Santo believer. Yeah. This movie yeah. really did it for me. Um, I love El Santo. I really yeah. do. And yeah. So so the overall uh, story here, we've got these vampire women that have been, what is it, 200 years they've been asleep? Yes. They've and, been asleep 200 years. And they need to capture well they failed earlier they failed yes. in trying to capture this woman uh and they're going to try again with the woman's i think they said it was her granddaughter 
grand, yeah, woman's granddaughter. And her name's uh, Diana. Diana, And yep. they're going to try to get Diana and, and bring her – they want her – I guess I wasn't really 100% clear. Do they need, They just want her blood or they're trying to make her one of no, them? No, she, she is going to become the – She's the, the next so queen. She's the next queen. Okay, so, there we go. So she's turning 21 and getting married because a lot's going on for this girl. Right. Um, Zorna, she wants to go return to live with Lucifer, right? And so they need a new queen. And clearly, Tundra is not queen material because she already screwed this up before. So they're going to get Diana when she turns 21 when, and she's, she's engaged to marry uh, George, who's ever so exciting um, George, George, and, and the, the interaction between George and the professor is very weird. Like, I don't know. Again, maybe it's better if, I, if you saw it in Spanish, but it seems strained. Like, I understand the professor is worried about the curse and all this stuff, but it just seems like a weird interplay sometimes between them, as if like, all right, you are here now, and I'm walking away. It's like, what? What? I think what the, the professor is clearly worried about his daughter, and he's no kind of thing. So. The party scene, the mat with, I mean, well, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. The prophecy says that uh, when Diana turns 21, that uh, she will become the new queen of the vampires. They will, they will uh, take her. She will, the ritual will be performed. She will become the queen of the vampires. So they don't want to actually let that happen. <laughs> you know, I, I guess, you know, like, well, she's 21, get married, queen of the vampires. She's got a lot going on for her. And her family, her, uh, Father knows that this could possibly yes. happen. There's a prophecy. Yes. There's, yes. I don't think they ever really. Maybe I just looked away at the wrong moment. Do they actually even show the the birthmark or whatever that has marked her? I don't remember. I know they mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, they mentioned that there's like <laughs> the shape of a vampire bat on her somewhere. That kind of indicate. Okay. <laughs> it, if they do, it's a fleeting glance. Yeah, it they really certainly don't get was into not it. one of those lingering. It's not like the old Universal where like, hey, you need to see the pentagram in your in the palm of your hand and we show you that pentagram in the palm of your hand mm-hmm. for a while mm-hmm. like it's definitely a quick shot if it's there right. um so uh <laughs> after so i'm looking at my notes here it says after a, his wrestling match santo arrives at the, pro- the professor's office which explains why he's in his wrestling garb sure that he just didn't go out <laughs> because he's wearing it the whole movie but Obviously, they talk about the uh, the prophecy at this point. Santo's the only person who can save her because he said 200 years ago, it was a man in a silver mask who saved the grandmother. And now Santo is the descendant of him. So what the prophecy is that he needs to save her. And I'm like, that's a lot of pressure to throw on somebody who just called on the phone to come over after wrestling. But he's a superhero, so he's pretty probably pretty cool with that. You know, the best part is Santo figures out that vampires can't survive in the sunlight. So. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and so they must have a layer. They must be living. They must be hiding somewhere. So, okay, these, okay. They've been they've been quote unquote dead for 200 years. If they were laying around, you might have seen them. I'm just throwing it out there. Probably just throwing it out there. Uh, the professor is not able to decode the information from the prophecy all the way. So it's like it's all like anyway. The party. Where she says, um, like, I don't, what are they, I mean, I know it's a masquerade party, but I'm not 100% sure what some of them are dressed as. Like, I think one guy's a tin soldier, but like, the vampires, the the men, the the, the henchmen, they come in and no one bats an eye, because I mean, obviously they, she hypnot, she uses her, you know, her eye hypnotism on the, uh, the butler, who, doesn't he seem really out of place? He does. The American butler seems like, wait, what? Was he... 
Now, I know Luke has mentioned this before, movies like The H-Man and things like that, where sometimes people would go on vacation and make a movie. You know, like you just happen to be on vacation and like, oh, I can make a movie. <laughs> Maybe this because he's clearly, clearly not of Mexican descent right? Right. or of Latin, Latin descent at all. He's clearly like, when did Alfred get here? Good Lord. You know, kind of thing. Like, when they come in and the God, when they're dancing and, and like they hypnotize George, like she Zorna hypnotizes George and he goes to her and then Diana's dancing with the other the the vampire. She's got her arms straight down. I mean, I know they're trying to portray that she's hypnotized, but it looks insanely awkward the way she's moving. And I know they want that to happen, but no one notices how awkward it is. How does no one else see that she's dancing awkward? Because they didn't hypnotize the whole room. They just hypnotized her and him. And her arms are like straight down, like robot straight down. And I'm like, okay, I just not, you know. I get it. I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to kidnap her, right? And get her out the door. And then they do outside. And that leads to our wrestling in the garden kind of thing or on the lawn. And those guys, again, I'm not hundred percent sure on all. I know some of them played themselves like Ray Mendoza and guys like that. Like they're some of the wrestlers played themselves. Right. But, uh, the vampires themselves, I didn't see anything where they necessarily were wrestlers, but they might've been trained somehow. They might've been lower end guys. Santo is throwing them around <laughs> on the grass. Now, as somebody who has taken several moves, high impact moves onto grass or missed the pole vault mat or stuff like that in my backyard wrestling days, um, it hurts when you get thrown. <laughs> now, to be all to be fair, in Lucha Libre, uh, unlike uh, Piruessa or or American wrestling. They do tend to roll through moves more because Piruessa is uh, more of like that strong style, like break your bones kind of thing. And American wrestling is a lot of showmanship. Right. Lucha Libre, it's, it's like a dance. When Lucha Libre is done well, it's like the way sexier version of pro wrestling than it should be. You know what I'm saying? Like that smooth movement, <laughs> everything flows and they go through. And I think that's when you look at what they're doing here. He doesn't pick anybody up and spike them on their head. Like he's you know, rolling through and pushing them off. So, but guys are still taking back bumps flat on the, on the grass, but no one's getting killed here. And they didn't need any stunt dummies to throw like in other movies. <laughs> but the, the wrestling part out there to me is always kind of crazy because they're kidnapping her. And he's like, Oh no, we got to, I got to tangle with these three guys because their go-to move is that judo chop to the neck. <laughs> and, um, they're using karate. They're going to kill me at any minute. It's like, I don't, I don't think so, buddy. That's not um, quite but, how that works, but okay. Yeah. Well, it could, I guess, you know, like, I mean, wh- this is what, this is 62, 63. The Vulcan neck pinch is not that far, you know, removed. Like, I guess people thought the neck area, you know, you know, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, the, the, the <laughs> sorry. Um, so they kidnap her, right? So they kidnap Diana and now they're going to take her back to their lair. Right. Right. So. Of course, Santo jumps in his car and chases after them. And one of the, the henchmen is waiting for him, right? And they get out and they fight. And what happens? Before he goes to kill El Santo, he looks right up at the cross. And I thought that was such a great touch there. In all the lunacy that might be occurring in this, like, Santo shows up. They steal the girl. We have to go get her. Let's go. Like, all that stuff. Like, you deal with having the vampire, right? I'm not, I'm not missing. I'm not out of order here. I'm trying to remember. 
Right. Where, I don't know if it matters. So. Okay. Well, it does. The whole thing is when, when, when the vampire sees the cross and he, and he peels back and dies and becomes, turns to dust. What an effective scene. And that does not seem like it belongs in an El Santo movie, but it works perfectly here. Yes. It is so, it is so night. It reminds me of, um, a little bit of an end of horror Dracula. When, uh, when Cushing goes down the table and rips them down and, and Lee starts melting into the dust. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Such an effective now again. That's fifty eight. This is sixty two. I'm not saying they took the idea from there because it's not like their idea, but it's such an effective way to go there because you're like, oh no, El Santo. Oh no, he karate chopped you. Oh no, he's going. Oh, and he's not going to bite you because of the cross. Take that, right? Evil, you know, kind of thing. Like <laughs> you rudos. So one of the things I want to talk about before I get to the, I, I got to mention this. Okay, so when they go, Santo's going to have the wrestling match. <laughs> When they go, when when the heel goes, the, the, the Rudo, so I keep calling it a heel. The Rudo goes into the locker room and he go, and he's gonna take a nap. Right, <laughs> lock the door. He's gonna take a nap before his match. Lock the door so no one bothers me. And the bat comes in through the window, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> he gets up off the table and they just stare at each other for a very awkward amount of time. And I'm like, I mean, like, I know he's trying to size him up, but he's just going to go for the judo chop to the neck anyway. So, like, you know, he knows his go-to move. Like, he is like, judo chop. Like, he's going to chop you in the neck. So, <laughs> the manager comes back in. Did he not notice that the guy is now a completely different size? You know, you put the mask on, I guess. <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, he puts the cape on. And you notice now the how the cape, when he takes it off, only goes to, like, his knee. When the, when the other guy puts the cape on, it goes almost to his ankles, right? It's a, <laughs> he's a smidge shorter. And then the match, the match, uh, obviously, um, that was not a real, um, that was all staged. You could tell oh, by yeah. the way the, the crowd's acting. Stuff. It's definitely staged. Although I do love when they use real wrestling matches in these. But where El Santo goes to the corner and he's like, like and, and he's like, he's trying to kill me by using karate. And I'm like, okay. The thing is, he takes him and hurls him into the crowd. Is it maybe the best idea to hurl the bloodthirsty vampire into the crowd? Now, I know they don't know that at that point, but he does. And then <laughs> when he's grabbing Santo's mask, you just have in your head, like, lay off the mask. Like, you know, what are you doing? Like, you know, kind of, that's my thing. Don't rip it. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> I was um, really surprised to see them going for the mask. I, I just like, I don't think they ever said this was a mask versus mask match. I don't, well, I didn't expect you know. that. But the, the key being is, though, when Santo unmasked him, the giant afro like of, of, of hair, like I said, his whole face pops out of it. The reaction is priceless. Everyone's like, ah, they all run. But people are running the wrong way. Like some run into each other and then back. But the, the thing is, they're trying to subdue the now vampire in the ring who's completely wolfing out for some reason. Yeah, he's, he's um, I know it's a vampire movie, but this guy certainly looks a lot more werewolf to me. He's a werewolf. <laughs> he's clearly a werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> right? And the best part is they get in the ring, the cops get in the ring, and they get knocked around, and the other guy just shoots them. Just blam, blam. I have watched a lot of professional wrestling in my life, and I have seen some big heels. Like, I, I wasn't alive when San Martino had his leg broken by, you know, Larry Zabisco, but I've seen clips of it. No one shot Larry Zabisco, right? Thank God. Um, <laughs> they shoot the guy in the ring. Now I know at this point they've kind of figured out that it's a monster, but he's armed. He got in the ring with a gun. Like, all right, put him down, buddy. Ba-boom, 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 you know, kind of thing. And we all know that's not going to work because you can't shoot him. 
not with regular bullets, werewolf or vampire. Neither one's going to work, right? I mean, he's not Hellboy. He doesn't have his special bullets with like holy water and bits of the cross and all that stuff in them. But that scene, the wrestling scene is funny because of like, because when he pulls up, like, holy cow, like really that guy's in there? Because he gets real hairy, real fast. Like, <laughs> it's not like he, like he, he's definitely the wrong size. And they pull the mask off and he's like, boom, hair. Like George Animal Steel was under the mask the whole time. Um, so <laughs> anyway, and so they, they, so now they got to go, they got to go save her because they've got her on the slab and they're going to, they're going to do whatever they're going to do with her and perform the ritual and all this stuff is going to happen. Well, Santo drives there, then jumps out of his car and races to the lair, which leads to what I was saying before. Sometimes you have to do what needs to be done, right? In the lair, they drop the, they drop the door. He has to find an alternate way in. He's fighting with them. He goes up the stairs. They, they close the gate again. He jumps off the stairs, which has no railing. Clear OSHA violation there with no railing on those stairs. Jumps off the stairs, tackles the guy. Just that fight scene is so great. Yes. It's just so, such such lucha libre fighting and happening in there. And then the sun's coming up. <laughs> so just, yeah. everyone, back to your coffins. And all I know is he's like, all right, I'm going to burn everyone. He burns them all. The end of this movie is him burning all of these women. And he just opens the thing. And for you, and for you, and he burns everyone. And now I understand they are vampire women. They are evil, and they're trying to kidnap this girl, and they're trying to take over the world. I get all of that. But usually your good guy is not burning women at the end of a film. And he burns them all, and then he picks up Diana and carries her out. Now, I understand why he's carrying her out, but I feel like at some point she's like, I'm good. I could walk. I'm good. You can put me down. That's you know, kind of thing. But he's like running out of the house, and everything is burning behind him. Oh, boy. And he puts her in. He's like, here you go. I'm done. Jumps in his car, speeds away. No one wants to ask him about the fact that he just burned 20 women inside a, a building. No one wants to say even good job. I mean, they wave, and they, oh. Who was that masked man? He was, you know, whatever. I'm like, what? Like, where? <laughs> I love, love. Because he, he, he opens the door and they're like, ah, and he burns him. He closes the door, but he closes it again. <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean to laugh, folks. And, and I understand this. I, I mean, I hope I'm not speaking out of term. I, Derek and I both enjoy this movie a lot, right? And that's oh, yeah. Pretty much yeah. Point. And, you yeah. know, and. All month, I've been kind of laughing and giggling through most of these yeah. movies. It's not because I'm laughing at them. These movies right. genuinely, sincerely give me a good time, and and, yeah. and I just love them. I love yeah. this one because I feel like the, the Luchador monster movie formula still hasn't really solidified. Right. Right. So yeah. you, you have some of these awkward – Here's a five-minute wrestling match with absolutely yes. no cut. <laughs> Where's Santo? I don't know, but I know he's wrestling at the arena later. Cut to the arena later, and there's a five-minute wrestling match that has no bearing on the story whatsoever. Right, right. And 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 that's fine. Um, I feel like <laughs> later on in in the Luchador movie uh, filmography, I guess you could say they they yeah. do kind of you know try to integrate it a little bit more sure. and and stage it a little bit better. Uh, this was clearly staged for the film itself. Yeah. And you and I watched the Americanized, the uh, Kate Gordon Murray, mm -hmm. Samson and the Vampire Women, even though it's called Samson and the Vampire Women. And I don't know if I'm just reading into it and I'm, you know, I prefer the name Santo. Everybody in the crowd is cheering. It sounds like they're cheering for Santo. They are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even though it's they left Samson in the ring. 
Yeah. Well, the thing was, I mean, uh, K. Gordon Murray, he distributed a, a, a number of uh, Mexican films in America, not just uh, the uh, the Santo movies, right? Right. Um, and the reason why he changed, obviously, characters' names are changed and stuff like that. That's what we get. People's last names are like Orloff, like really, like, you know, if we couldn't, you know, already put people together. and But he changed it to Samson because he felt that it was obviously, you know, re- referencing Samson, obviously, from biblical stories and like, you know, sword and sandal movies and stuff like that. He felt that might play better in America. And eventually it would be, I mean, I know this has always been called Samson versus Vampire Women, but all the other movies that came out were always Santo movies. Like, you know, like later on, he had, he released one other under a name Samson versus whatever, where he changed it. But the later movies are called Santo, and El Santo became something that, to be honest, I, I know why that was done, because he was trying to make it to an audience. You know, his movies, they played late night television or like, uh, you know, on, on a, like a, a part of a double feature to drive in. Like, he, he wasn't he wasn't putting out, look, I got Gone with the Wind here, kids. I mean, slap the right title on it, you know, kind of thing. Like, he knew he was making a fast <laughs> buck. But, but, and you know what? And there's nothing wrong with that. No, like, I totally no. love that idea. You know what I'm saying? You know, it was a different time. You don't see that now. Now, these days, you know, these movies would get released, subtitled or dubbed up here or whatever. But back then, yeah, I mean, he was the only guy kind of bringing some of these movies up. And, and it wasn't just this movie. I mean, he was responsible for bringing us the Brainiac, uh, Santa Claus, for crying out loud, which is just a glorious film. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I'm so happy to have that on Blu-ray. I mean, I love that movie so much. I, I and, and here we are laughing about it again, but it's because it gives us so much joy. I love it. Yeah. You know, and the robot versus the Aztec mummy, what you were talking about earlier. Yes. I mean, he was involved yeah, yeah. in a lot of this kind of stuff, bringing it up from from uh, down on, un- not down under, but you know, south of the border. I know what you mean. Yeah. South of the border. Yeah. yeah. Down <laughs> under. Yeah. Yeah. Brought- no. No. Yeah. No, these it's are down great. Down under, those are the Oz PlayStation. That's a little different than this. Slightly different. Slightly <laughs> and different. That, and that podcast might not be all ages. Just, just yeah, say Yeah, that's probably true, too. <laughs> but, you know, with, without him, I don't know if we would have some of the luchador stuff that we have up here. Yeah, I, I don't know, but yeah, it is what it is, and I love it, and and I love him for it. And <laughs> this movie, I like when they integrate the ring into the story, though. I really do yes. when they when yeah. like the the werewolf turns up or the vampire, whatever it is, or in uh, the Champions of Justice where they just open fire at the ring. You know <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Who brings a gun to a wrestling match? Well, yeah, well. Yeah. Not down the, the problem is, I mean, I don't know what happened south of the border, but I know in like the southern territories you certainly didn't because down there, wrestling is real. And um, if Jim Cornette has taught, taught us nothing else, people down there will kill you on the way to the ring if they get their hands in you. Anyway. Right, right. I mean, you know, you're, you're pulling a Brian Pillman here, and that's not really what we're wanting for. <laughs> Pillman's got a gun. He's got a gun. Yeah. Sorry, my JR impression was not good. My brother's better at it. Um <laughs> The, the one thing I wanted to mention here is, and this is something that I know, um, again, we've talked a lot about wrestling in this episode, and, and um, clearly we both enjoy it. When you look at what happened in the 60s into the 70s, a lot with the Lucha Libre roots that are, obviously Lucha Libre was huge before the 60s in Mexico. Some of the influences could be seen in the in the lower Texas area, like right where, like where the Texas meets it. And I'm clearly not talking about, for those who are like, Jay, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm not talking about world-class championship wrestling or the Von Erichs and all that stuff. That's a different thing. Right. I know. Right. Right? But you, saw, you started seeing that. What happened in Los Angeles and in not so much San Francisco. San Francisco, um, uh, they understood what they had. They had their battle royals. They're very famous. And they would have the battle royals would happen and they would bring in Andre the Giant or Bruno San Martino and they bring in some big star, right? 
in Los Angeles, Mexicans started immigrating in. There was a much more call for this to be happening. And that's like San Diego and that area, the, the lower part of, of California. So they started bringing in Lucha Libre stars because there was a call for them. And they became, uh, you know, obviously because you had a crowd that was into this. But in the in the L.A., you know, and like the Olympia or whatever the heck, if I'm trying to remember what the, the Coliseum in, in uh, L.A. was, it ran those things. They would bring in Lucha Libre stars. Yep. And as an American, you're like, look at this guy in this mask. This is so cool. It's easy to fall in love with that because Lucha Libre truly, um, and we talked about it with the, the documentary, The Tales of the Masked Men, right? A lot of it is young kids and women. And not, not necessarily, like, you know, I mean, but a lot of women would go to these and they would go in Mexico to see the, because the, they had these colorful masks and stuff. And they would go, they look, I mean, a lot of these guys, not everyone looked like an Adonis all cut up. I mean, some of them looked like, you know, 40 pounds or whatever in a five pound bag, you know what I'm saying? But like <laughs> they would go to see the beautiful wrestler, the, the guys with the, you know, the, the, to see the bodies because it was a different time back then too. And since that was such a local level, if you had a local wrestling show every week that was people who lived in your neighborhood and you supported that, it became really personal to you. And when those people went on to the bigger stage, you felt like that's they're representing me. They truly represented the small barrios where they came from, and they represented that. And when they went to America, oh, and it became huge. And to be honest, if you think about it, uh, someone like Mil Mascaras, who might not be the greatest wrestler of all time, truly is one of the best marketers of himself of all time. And people cannot agree with me. It's totally fine. I'm not a, I'm not a huge Mil Mascaras fan in that I do like some other people more than him, but I truly appreciate what he brought to wrestling. Right. The idea of his marketability and the Lucha Libre, the masks that are sold in every single store in these little places and to wear a mask and what the mask means. And they're not like, I mean, I, don't mean, I, I own a few Lucha Libre mask. I know you own at least one. Uh, I got three or four. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't, I didn't know. I knew at I, least I, one. I wish I, I had more, you know, you know, <laughs> right. But my, my problem is my melon is so big. I can't get them on there. So I have to get the ones that are a little stretchier. Uh, right? see. Um, yeah, and see, I can't see without my glasses and I can't wear contacts anymore. So now it's really difficult yeah. for me. <laughs> well, I, I can't see without my glasses either, but I'm willing to wrestle blind in a mask. If it looks cool, you know, kind of thing like, <laughs> Hey, if Stan Hansen can wrestle blind and all across this world and nearly rip Big Van Vader's ear or complete or his eye, excuse me, hit him and knock his eye out, I can wrestle without my glasses on too. Um, so what I'm saying is like, so to, you know, to wear those masks, they're just so cool. And as somebody who uh, you know grew up in the same time you did, but think about it, and not to, again, not to get on wrestling, but think about like the, remember the Killer Bees and the WWF, right? <laughs> B Brian Blair. What yeah. happened? They would wrestle, and all of a sudden they would put the mask on. And even though Brian Blair and Jim Brunzel are about four inches different in height and about twenty pounds different in weight, the referee couldn't tell them apart. And as a kid, you're like, oh, they're cheating, but it's cheating for good, and you're okay with that if you were because. Unless you were like, you know, some people rooted for the heels, you were cheering on the faces. The, 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 the mask, which means so much to the Mexican culture of their superheroes, here in America became so infectious. And people are like, oh my God, I love the mask. Mr. Wrestling, Mr. Wrestling 2, The Destroyer. I mean, The Destroyer was huge in Japan. I mean, um, I'm, I'm up here in the Portland area and we have The Grappler. 
you know, yes, and, I was and to say the grappler, the grappler was, and, and he, he was, yeah. I mean, and he still, I think he still does some TV work. I mean, you were talking about earlier having a homegrown promotion. Uh, right. We've got the West Coast Wrestling Connection up here in Portland, uh, yeah. which you can see yeah. on YouTube, uh, yep. but they also broadcast on television. And, you know, I, I, I watch that and I really enjoy it. And, you know, when somebody from there kind of ma- makes it to the bigger leagues, I don't know. I mean, a lot of times the bigger leagues, somebody will wash out like, you know, Gangrel will show up on West Coast Wrestling Connection. That happens. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a couple of years, I think it was about a year ago, a guy by the name of Caleb Conley, who was a regular mm-hmm. at West Coast Wrestling Connection, he is now on Impact Wrestling. I mean, it, it's really cool to see these guys kind of move up and, and you start following these guys, yep. you know, as yep. your, your hometown guys, you're like, you know, it's just really neat to kind of see that happen. And yeah, I, I don't know where I'm going with this no, other than no, I, I just know really exactly. like I, rest Coast wrestling. I, I understand exactly <laughs> what you're saying. And a guy like Caleb Conley, perfect example. Here's a guy who might be a little undersized by some standards for WWE because, you know, everyone's got to look like insist that Roman Reigns is our guy, even though no one wants him. Oh boy. Um, and then you take a guy like Caleb Conley and he's now wrestling in impact wrestling, formerly TNA. Right. And he can wrestle a play. He can wrestle in independence and ROH and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, wait, why is Mannix or Suicide back? Oh, wait, that's Caleb Conley under the mask because yep. he's that talented. Oh, that's boy, we are going deep into the wrestling nerddom here, aren't it's, we? It's okay. Wow. You know why? Because here, my, my brother made this point a long time ago, and, and people are like, oh, no, it's true. There was a time, there was truly a time when you could have known everything about Star Wars. Clearly, that hasn't been in many years. But after, like, there was a time when you could have known everything about Star Wars because there was only so much released of Star Wars, right? There was a time when you could have known everything about Star Trek, right? Okay. A long time ago. There has never been a time when you can know everything about professional wrestling because it happens everywhere, all across the world, in Asia, Europe. Japan, you know, anywhere up Japan's obviously Asia, but you know what I'm saying? In North America, there's always wrestling happening. There's always something that's occurring. It's pro wrestling is so unlike any of those other giants. And people are like, you don't understand, Jay, comic books. There was a time when you could have read every single comic book that ever had Batman in it. Yeah. And you, you know, I mean, there's, they're making more, but you could have at one time read them all, right? Couldn't you have read all? Yeah. There's always that local promotion. There's always that small indie show. There's always the time when, I don't know, Ricochet and Cody Rhodes wrestled at the local PAL a couple, you know, when my daughter was little. And she's like, we're seeing Ricochet and Cody Rhodes wrestle? This is super cool. And I'm like, this match is better than what I saw on TV for five hours on Mondays and Tuesdays. It's, this is a different world. And the Lucha Libre part of this world is so much different and yet so the same with the other parts, the North Amer- the part that would be the North America, I'd say Canada and the U.S. kind of is one thing, although Canadian wrestling is a little different. But Canadian and U.S. wrestling kind of have their roots together, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at like the European with the rounds and style, that it's such difference. When you think about it, in Japan, Antonio Inoki, he served on the diet. Tatsuji Fujinami served on the – they served in office. They are respected athletes. In, in, in Mexico, the Lucha Libre stars, they are loved. They are beloved. I mean, to think about the, the level of commitment to going and, and being in these small little arenas or whatever it is every week to see these things. And it's not like a Lucha Libre match is like a five-minute squash we see on TV now. I mean, they're three falls. They're two to, two out of three falls. They're insane. Yeah. You know, an, an episode of CMML might be one edited match, and that's the whole hour. You know, so – 
But I mean, we're getting, and I know Derek's right. We are getting a little far field. <laughs> what I'm saying is, when you look at this, that's why the, this whole month. And when you said you were going to do luchador, luchador movies, and I'm like, oh my god, I have to be on this, right? Um, because if there's nothing that describes that better, it because there is a level of not say history, but there's a level of um, identity in the luchador movies that I don't think other countries actually have with their movies in this, you know what I'm saying? Like the luchador is so identified with being the, you know, Mexican part of the Mexican history. Right. Right. And I'm, and, and I, to me, it's likened like this. If you think about cowboy movies in America, how many cowboy movies are there? Like millions, how many cowboys TV shows, the, the idea of the wild West in America, right? The idea of, and not to be, broad generalization but like the ninja or the samurai coming out of japan which may have been an americanized thing but like people think that and they think about these things lucha libre and these movies make you think about mexico yeah it's the legacy they bring it's this instant identity that they bring and you know in a movie like this where you also get to I mean, you feel the the horror elements as well that are yes, that yes, are yes. just such a unique take on yeah. on what we were doing up here in the states at the time. Just just kind of filtering the universal monster tropes through that Mexican lens. It's fascinating. It's enjoyable. It makes us laugh and giggle like a couple of kids while we talk about yeah. it. I adore it. And uh, this movie. And this is probably one of my favorite Luchador movies, uh, Luchador monster movies. I, I just really, really enjoyed watching it again. Uh, and it's just a good one, man. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I want to throw out here, and I know yeah. I, I, I've been getting all over the place. I did mention that one of my influences was Mr. Sharon's Theory 3000. I know you've said that you kind of, you're back and forth on it sometimes, yeah. Yeah. right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the idea of riffing a movie, which my dad truly hates with a passion, that burns brighter than a thousand suns. Um, <laughs> when you're making light of a situation, like yeah. we're laughing at certain things, when riffing is done at its best, it's not making fun of the movie, but kind of make, like pointing out the situation or like the like the the things that we're giggling at. It's kind of pointing that out right. in life. You know what I'm saying? I think that's what's when when something is mean spirited. To me, that's not funny. This movie is available. It's very limited. That's the problem. You, you can see it on YouTube. Right, I mean, it's available on YouTube for free. Uh-huh. It's available. The misty of it, with with annotations explaining the references, is available on YouTube through Shout Factory for free. Right, and it's on DVD from Shout Factory. But the DVD I have of this movie, I have the Shout Factory DVD of the Misty, is, I mean, it's very expensive because I think it's out of print. You know what I'm saying? Like this not this is not a readily available movie for a movie you would think like it's not like there's no Blu-ray of this. There is no El Santo master collection think about how much that would cost oh wow that'd be amazing though it'd be really cool here think about this make the box set put it on blu-ray because you can put two of these on each and each blu-ray could have you know two to three of these on it easily because the blu-ray holds so much data and they're not not that long but have it come with its own collector's el santo mask oh i i know i'm talking a very niche audience but man yeah yeah but how cool would that be? Anyway, um, that would be amazing. You know, that, that would now be that amazing. I've put now that I've put that out there, and now people are like, "Man, I want that, Jay." That's yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's sorry. That's my whiny voice. Like, oh, Mister Jay, you suck so hard. I'm like, oh, I know. It's That'd be anyway. amazing. It'd be amazing yeah, though to, to have a collection of these. And, and I know there are some collections of it out there, but to have right. you just All one big run would be fantastic. Yeah. 
fantastic. Because um, then, watch, you know, think about it, watching them in order. Like being able to put them on nice and crisp and clear. They're going to look like old movies cleaned up. But imagine watching them in order and watching the progression of the El Santo movies. Right. Right. And watching them grow into what they became in the, in the, in the 70s. And, you know, with Blue Demon and all the other guys in it, that growth, like, what do we think? Small events, you know, often lead to big change, right? Kind of thing. <laughs> one, one decision here or there changes the path of this whole series. What happens if Samson Vampire went and didn't, I mean, they had him under contract for four pictures. What if none of the pictures made any money? There would be no next set of these, you know? That's true. I mean, that's true. The comic books were so big, though. I don't know how the first one didn't make money, but I'm just saying. <laughs> those comic books are are crazy expensive in some of them. And and I don't know if you've ever seen any of them or like at least the covers and stuff. They would take things from like clearly just like another movie poster and then stick El Santo in it. And like, oh, yeah. you know, it was like, oh, yeah, and they're great. The best is when something is drawn and then it's like a, a cutout of a picture of him stuck into it. Like doesn't even look right and they were like this one's worth so much money i'm like oh okay i'm willing to believe you but it's like what it's just that different thing i don't and, and i don't i can't think of anything i don't know anything that's analog to that outside of superheroes you know superman batman stuff like that in america yeah i can't yeah. think of anything either um yeah. but no, i think you're right i think you're right yeah. and and these movies you know, I know I say I go back and forth on the MST3K thing. I, I feel like without MST3K, this movie probably wouldn't get as much attention as it as it did, or at least not as early yeah. as it did. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really was good for this film and uh, yeah. to get it out there. And, and yeah, Shot Factory's got it out there now. You can find it all over the place. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually had a hard time finding it unriffed. I mean, I, I oh, did eventually yeah, yeah. find it, but it was yeah. difficult for me to find it unriffed uh, just to find the straight-up K. Gordon Murray edition. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So... I mean, but it is out and, there. So it is out there. Yeah, and so. that the, the disc that that I have, I don't know if you have the same one. It has the green writing and like the woman's eyes on the cover and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it the thing was that I had never seen that disc. Um, my brother's mother in law, when she was alive, God rest her soul, she got it and she bought a whole bunch of horror movies. And she, my and my brother said, he goes, Barbara, you have Sandra the Vampire Women. You ever watched? She goes, No, I've never watched it. I bought a whole bunch of movies and it was there. He goes, My brother would love this. So I bought it off of her, okay. you know, for like five bucks. Right. And I've never seen it ever again. Like I've never seen it available anywhere. And now later, now I look at on Amazon and stuff. I'm like, this thing's out of print. It's whatever. But it was one of those things. You just couldn't find it. It wasn't like, oh, well, they didn't have it in stock. People look like, what are you even talking about? You know, kind of thing. And you're like, oh, it's got this and this. And you can't describe the movie to them because the people just shake their head and walk away when you start describing the movie to them. You know, kind of thing. Because you're like, wait, you want to watch a movie about a Mexican wrestler? What? And they just walk away. You know, I guess it could be worse. You could describe Ship of Monsters to people. Oh, God. And feel like <laughs> feel like you're having you're on an LSD trip or something along those lines. Or like, like, am I smelling almonds? Am I having a stroke? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> Sorry. That's horrible. I shouldn't say things like oh. that. But, uh, you know, kind of thing. Because that movie is like just... Ship a monster. If you have never seen Ship a Monster, it's on YouTube. Watch it, and then you let us know what you think. Because I'll yeah, tell you right now, that one's woof. I felt like I was spun around a whole bunch, and like you know, go. You know, like a little kid, and you spin around on the bat, try to run the straight line. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's available. And the thing is, the the on YouTube, obviously, you have the the misty riff of it. Uh, the actual one on YouTube, I think, is taken right from that disc. I'm pretty sure it's the same. And someone just ripped the disc and put it up on. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So. It looks about the same quality, you know, kind of thing. Uh, it's clearly not worse quality, 
but it's not like, wow, this is like a 4K. Well, I can't imagine a 4K, oh, a 2K man. restoration. Imagine a 4K restoration. Uh, you could see every hair as he, he wolfs out, you know, kind of thing. I, I, I'd pay for that. <laughs> I would like to see it actually it'd be better. It would be an IMAX 3D. Oh, wow. Burn the women! You know, kind of thing. Oh, now, the now, don't jump off the screen. Now I want a Luchador monster movie in 3D. That's what I want. Uh, somebody <laughs> needs to make that. Please, somebody make that. <laughs> I think we know who's going to make that. It's going to be Mil Mascaris. Yeah. Um, because yeah. The, his, the, the new one, I, I, I didn't see all. I, I saw quite a little bit of the, oh, what's the one? I'm trying to remember. Well, there was the, the, the Aztec Mummy and then Academy of Doom is the second one. Yeah, it's it, Aztec Mummy. Yeah. The one, right. The, the, that's the ones that knew the new release ones, you know, and he's wrestling and I'm like, like, come on, Mill, you're kind of old here, buddy. You know, kind of thing. And he's like, and these guys show up and it's like the who's who. Yeah. Uh, Lucha Libre. It's like El Gil de Santo. El Gil de Fasmo. It's like, okay. Oh, cool. I know these guys, you know, and you know, Ten of Lace Jr. You know, and the guys like that, you know, so. <laughs> anyway, we have. I have rambled. I am sorry. I no, am on here it, rambling like crazy. It's, it's all good, man. <laughs> it is all good. I mean, having uh, a fellow enthusiast on the show has been awesome. Um, I do need to go ahead and start wrapping up, but before we do that, I want to make sure people know they can hear you. Uh, is it once a month at Bots, Bugs, and Babes? Well, the regular releases are once a month on the 13th of the month. Yeah, it's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-movie podcast from Classical. Some little cheese in between. Yeah, it's once a month on the 13th uh, we post. And then I post special episodes. We did a couple of um, special episodes. Guys who I became friends with who had Kickstarters going that seemed like they would tie into the stuff we were working on. Uh, one was about giant monsters, and there was some about guy was making a bust of this demon. And we're like, hey, let's promote this stuff. Um, we'll do crossover episodes where my brother's show, Earth Destruction Erective, he'll come on and we'll do crossovers there. And then I release special episodes too. You know, the kind of things dad and I will often do special episodes. October, we get two. You get one on the 13th and one on the 31st, you know, for Halloween. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, because you have to. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't heard me talk about it wrestling enough and you want to hear my brother, my, my, our buddy Chris, uh, and I talk about wrestling, that's get back to the wrestling finally a show on the internet about professional wrestling because we've had never had one before oh so yeah sure that. no never never yeah <laughs> right um you know it's funny we say that and i'm like wait but most of those are not really about professional wrestling it's just them talking about the business we talk about the actual stuff but i digress for those of you who are interested that show there is some definite adult language used on that show so i'm just forewarning you don't be like hey kids let's listen and talk about wrestlemania 4 it's not kid. I mean, my daughter listens to it, but hearing daddy curse is not something she hasn't heard already. And then the other only place, the other place you can hear me regularly is the vault of Starling monster horror tales of terror. And that is our horror podcast. We do over on two, on the two true freaks radio network. My brother, uh, Luke and I, along with uh, Chris, uh, hero, well, Chris Tyler, we call him Chris hero. He's the hair metal hero, Chris hero wrestling reference, of course. <laughs> um, and then uh, oh, the, one of the OGs over there, Chris Honeywell, we talk about all kinds of stuff. In fact, we just finished all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Well, we have to do the remake, but no one wants to. Um, and then we have to, we just were talk, talking about Hammer movies and stuff currently. I was going to say, recently you talked about one of my favorite Hammer films, Captain Kronos. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, Captain, I love Captain Kronos. I, I, know, I know that some people are like, what are you guys, Captain Kronos? Like, we have hit some really... Um, deep stuff today, so to speak. Like you have to kind of like know you're wrestling or whatever. If you have never seen Captain Cronus Vampire Hunter, what are you doing? Like go go spend the hour and a half. It's awesome. You're missing out. You're missing and out. Carolyn Monroe is in there. It's like her second movie. You know, <laughs> we try to make 
the the horror one again that's not uh kid friendly all the time there are definitely some uh some naughty words uh by used by all of us on that show um but again we try to mix things up and we do what we call free choice and whatever and we we love people you know giving feedback and stuff and that actually was one of our longtime listeners and an author he uh he had said uh hey you know i really would love to do uh you know captain cronus vampire hunter we're like yeah we want you on you know kind of thing and it's just kind of funny because Thomas DJ, he's an author, uh, and he was like, "Yeah, let's. I want to do Captain Cronus." We're like, "Yes, we want to do Captain Cronus." Like, it's it an easy. It wasn't like a, you know, twisting our arms. It's like an easy sell. Um, I think we're going to talk about Legend of the Gold, Seven Golden Vampires coming up probably this summer. You oh, know, another one. Nice. That, talk about a weird movie. <laughs> yeah, but I love it. I love it so I much. I love it too. It's so great. I think this is one of the things too. And you and I have talked about this uh, when you were on with me. We kind of just you know off the air, kind of talking about. We can we can watch these movies and escape yes. to a different time. Yes, right. Indeed. To me, I mean, I, I don't mean like it doesn't have to be just monster movies. Like, you know, I can throw on The Odd Couple at any time and look at New York City in the '60s. And even though I wasn't alive in the '60s in New York City, I remember a New York City that was not Mickey Mouse and ESPN and Disney everything. I remember a city where you didn't walk by Bryant Park because you'd get killed. And I remember when 42nd Street wasn't a place to be or, you know, definitely not a family destination. And I can look back at old things like that. Well, oh, man, I remember this. And I remember some of it. Maybe it takes me back to that time. And, yes, The Odd Couple is probably one of the funniest movies ever made, period, and a hysterical play. But it takes me to a different time. So I can not have to worry about it being, you know, 2018 and whatever else might be going on. You can kind of escape. This movie is a perfect example of that. I think the other ones you've covered this month are all perfect examples of that. Escaping, maybe not even just escaping to a different time, to a different country. Yes, you know exactly. Where luchadors show up wearing fine suits and their best masks. That's right, man. And, uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. Well, this uh, has been a blast. I, I loved having you on. We'll have to have you on back down the line. Uh, let's not wait till next May, though. Let's come up with something. Oh, no. Yeah, we got plenty of monster movies out there to talk about. Of course. And thanks for having me on your show too. Really appreciate that was of a lot course. of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. We're going to we're going to have you back on. I'm telling you we, okay. we got thank you for having me. This, this was a, a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Have a good one, all right? Two true freaks and you actually spell out the word two and then true and then freaks.com again link in the show notes go check out all the shows as part of the two true freaks network looks like there's a lot of quality content there and bots bugs and babes is a fun show and I'm not just saying that because I was actually on the show that was a real blast to have Jason over here and brought his style of podcasting with my style of podcasting I hope you guys dug it because I did thanks again Jason <laughs> volcano. Great herds of cattle stampede before this living inferno. Vast area devastated by appalling new horror. A creature named the Black Scorpion by panic-stricken people of San Lorenzo. Entire population prays for deliverance. And for miles around, cowboys came upon one dead steer after another. One of them had heard the tale of the demon bull of the Maricopa, having lost family or friends to something absolutely unknown. We could be in another world. Nation's leaders confer as news received a possible threat to capital. This is a city of four million people. If word of these leaks out, the panic of the population could be worse than the scorpions. 
The Black Scorpion destroys communications. Hundreds annihilated. in the cast. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but there are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. Well, that sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show. Oh, will do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm. We'll see, Christopher. We'll see. Vault of Monster Collectibles Strange Change The Lost World Mattel 1967 Toys to make other toys were big in the 1960s and so were play sets. On the heels of their very popular line of Thingmaker toys, Mattel gave us a somewhat similar type toy that doubled as a monster slash dinosaur play set, Strange Change The Lost World. The main piece of the set was the Strange Change Machine, which was a metal heating unit disguised as a time machine. A kid would plug the machine into the wall, insert one of the plastic squares, close the plastic dome door, and watch the square slowly change into a creature, as if being transported forward in time. The creature could be sent back by simply heating it up again and crushing it back into square form in the crushing section of the Strange Change machine. The set contains 16 creature slash time squares, blue plastic tongs to handle the little hotties, and a large hard plastic vacuform hollow green mountain that doubled as a holder for the Strange Change machine and creatures, and a fold-out two-sided instruction sheet that was a play mat representing the lost world on the other side. These pieces came in a corrugated box that featured some of the absolute most 
monster kiddish graphics ever to grace toy packaging. It really is a thing of beauty. There were two supplemental blister cards containing a total of eight extra creatures slash time squares that could be added to the strange change menagerie to bolster it to 24. One of these accessory packs, spelled P-A-K-S, is called Astropods and contained the Crabosaurus, Flyodon, Slunkapod, and Raspigator. The other being Creaturelings, which contained Beetle... Dontodon, Antosaurus, and the very popular snaggle-fanged Oculus and hooded Skulkaronimus. Skulkaronimus. <laughs> the original 16 included dinosaurs, a robot, a mummy, a skeleton, an astronaut, giant bugs and reptiles, a tree monster, and the popular Membrane Man. Prices have risen considerably on these sets in the last few years. You commonly see damaged, incomplete sets on eBay that sell in the $50 to $100 range, and sometimes even cheaper depending on how much is missing and how it displays. Complete working sets in excellent conditions with nice boxes seem to command prices in the $150 to $200 range. A totally complete set in like new working condition with a very nice box and all of the packing materials, such as clear plastic dome piece that fits over the crater section of the mountain, and the paper insert that comes inside the plastic dome, might command prices more in the $300 range. A still sealed set with undamaged box, if you could ever find one, would possibly sell more in the $500 to $600 range, though this is just a guess based on other comparable toys since I've never heard of a sealed example changing hands or even turning up for that matter. The two accessory packs still sealed on excellent condition blister cards might bring in around $100 each, though these are seldom seen. Even the individual creatures sell for around $5 to $10 for some of the more popular ones. I sold an excellent snaggle-fanged Oculus on eBay a couple of years back for 10 bucks. Usually you see the creatures offered in lots and they can generally be had for $2 to $3 each when bought in lots. A quick word about condition issues. It's common to see the strange change machine itself no longer able to heat up. Since most collectors just display this stuff, it isn't really much of an issue if the unit no longer heats. But in order to command some of the higher prices I mentioned before, a buyer still wants the thing to work. The hollow green mountain is prone to splitting at the corners from the weight of the metal heating unit. The hollow green mountain is prone to splitting at the corners from the weight of the metal heating unit. I've never seen a picture of the green mountain that didn't have some degree of corner splitting. Collectors just have to accept this if they want one in their collection. The mountain is fairly strong, so a careful collector will probably see no further degradation. But I would advise not storing or displaying it with a heavy heating unit on the mountain piece. Even a sealed example would probably contain a split mountain piece, and there are probably no mountain pieces in existence that don't have some degree of splitting at this point. Also, the plastic the creatures are made from tends to scorch and dry out if heated for too long. If the plastic gets too dried out, it can't be crushed back very easily and the creature makes a nasty looking display piece. 
Most collectors just display their sets and don't actually use them because the plastic loses its look and pliability if changed back and forth too much. I received a strange change to the Lost World set in 1967 at the age of 8. I enjoyed it very much even though the figures themselves were a bit smaller than most of the toy monsters and dinosaurs I was used to playing with. Like with most of my toys, the ultra cool box got discarded pretty quickly. What were we thinking back then? I still have most of that set, though the heating unit quit working decades ago. A few years ago I was pining for the cool box and a nice display set and I found an eBay listing for a complete set including the cards and accessory packs. The set even included the original paper insert for the dome as well as extra copies of it. I took the plunge for around $135 including shipping and have enjoyed looking at the stuff ever since. If you get one be sure to get it in an excellent box. The box is the charm here, monster kids. Gorgeous graphics from the coolest time to be a kid. I've included some pics of my set to bring back the great memories. Next episode, we take a look at maybe the coolest mask ever made from 1972, the Vern Langdon zombie mask. We'll also look at the Kelly Man reissue, as well as some of the other copies and recasts floating around out there in the Maskosphere. 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 Also, we'll cover some of the killer merch associated with the Vern Langdon zombie mask, like the creepy 1972 annual, and some of the awesome recent merch available at the Vern Langdon website. Can you dig a VLZ action figure, tiki mug, and more? I thought so. It's horror vault to release. Three macabre masterpieces. Bela Lugosi as Count Dracula, Lord High Priest of the Living Dead, begins a legend of fear as he claims the soul of his first victim with the Mark of the Vampire. Boris Karloff as the evil Fu Manchu, his passion for power twisting his brilliant mind as he revels in the horrors of human sacrifice and torture. Behind the mask of Fu Manchu. Frederick Marsh as the futuristic experimenter, Dr. Jekyll, using chemistry to expand his mind. Delving into the taboos of the unnatural. To free the primitive. Savage. Murderer, Mr. Hyde, in the screen's first classic portrayal of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Bella Lugosi, Mark of the Vampire. Boris Karloff, 
The Mask of Fu Manchu. Frederick March. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Torture. Terror. Taboo. Together in a triple trip to the time when terror began. Now from MGM. Three immortal horrors never seen on the little screen. Hey, comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. Hi, this is Jamie Alexander, the Asgardian warrior Sif from Thor. I went to Marvel. They said, hey, sit down. We want to talk to you about this part. So what happened was I had a knife in my purse. I set the purse on the chair and it fell off and the knife fell out. And then they were like, oh, God, you really are Lady Sif. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one, the only, William Shatner. There's all these rumors out there that you're going to be in the next Star Trek film. Well, I'd like to be in it. You know, I don't want to be a gratuitous character. Like scrubbing me, the uh, windows on the Enterprise or something? There's a guy on the Chris wing. Chris Pine! There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine says there's a guy on the wing. Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is John Reese davis Hi, everyone. This is Summer Glau. Hi, this is Trisha Helfer, number six from Battlestar Galactica. Hey, this is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior. Derek and other Monster Kids, this is Jeff calling with another Weird Wednesday report. The most recent Weird Wednesday at the Joy Cinnamon in Tiger was Dracula in Pakistan. And this was a surprisingly good movie. It was black and white, and it was in, uh, well, I, I don't know, actually know what the language of Pakistan is. I'm going to say Pakistani and hope I'm right, uh, with English subtitles. And wow, it was really good. Uh, it starts off with the origin of the vampire in the movie, and it's a scientific origin. It's a, a scientist seeking eternal life. So, there's no religious aspects to this vampirism. There's no supernatural aspects. It's purely a scientific thing. But otherwise, it follows Bram Stoker's story uh, fairly well. It, it's you know, a lot of close parallels. You can look at each character and say, okay, this is supposed to be John Harper. This is supposed to be Dr. Van Helsing, uh, even though they have Pakistani names. The acting was mostly really good, the exception being the actor who played the equivalent of John Harper. Handsome enough guy, but boy, his acting was about as good as a 2 by 4 The one thing I really have to mark the movie down for is the soundtrack. It was not good. Uh, now, 
my thinking is maybe Pakistani music sensibilities, especially back then, are different than ours. The music cues, for the most part, were just wrong for the action on the screen. But that's my, you know, 2018 Westerner way of looking at it. I uh, Maybe they have something different. But anyway, really good movie, in my opinion. So, if you're a Vampire fan and you haven't seen it, you might want to track this one down. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. other monster kids this is jeff calling with another weird wednesday report the most recent weird wednesday at the joy cinnamon and tiger was dracula in pakistan and this was a surprisingly good movie it was black and white and it was in uh well i, I don't know actually know what the language of pakistan is i'm going to say pakistani and hope i'm right uh with english subtitles and wow it was really good uh, it starts off with the origin of the vampire in the movie, and it's a scientific origin. It's a, a scientist seeking eternal life. So, there's no religious aspects to this vampirism. There's no supernatural aspects. It's purely a scientific thing. But otherwise, it follows Bram Stoker's story uh, fairly well. It, it's, you know, a lot of close parallels. You can look at each character and say, okay, this is supposed to be John Harker. This is supposed to be Dr. Ben Helsing, uh, even though they have Pakistani names. The acting was mostly really good, the exception being the actor who played the equivalent of John Harker. Handsome enough guy, but boy, his acting was about as good as a 2x4. The one thing I really have to mark the movie down for is the soundtrack. It was not good. Uh, now, my thinking is maybe Pakistani music sensibilities, especially back then, are different than ours. The music cues, for the most part, were just wrong for the action on the screen. But that's my, you know, 2018 Westerner way of looking at it. I, uh, maybe they have something different. But anyway, really good movie, in my opinion. So if you're a vampire fan and you haven't seen it, you might want to track this one down. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Egypt, 4,000 years ago. A land of strange rituals and savage cruelty. Many of their secrets are still hidden from the eyes of 20th century man. Secrets that protect their dead. Supernatural powers that once released can live again in our modern world. The Mummy, the Living Dead, bringing terror and death across 4,000 years. He was a high priest of the great god Karnak, until one night he attempted the ultimate in blasphemy. 
he was condemned to guard forever the princess he had loved and protect her from intruders. Go now. Go and destroy those who desecrated the tomb of our princess. He who robs the graves of Egypt dies. He who robs the graves of Egypt dies. Come the slime people to kill, kill, kill. There is no escape from the slime people. The slime people. of the horror of the slime people. Hi, this is Joel Hodson, the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio. Why don't you? Hey, Derek. This is Todd over at the Haunted Cinema. I just wanted to call in and let you know I just recently finished listening to episode 370 with Mark Peterson, uh, Santo and the Blue Demon. And I have to admit, Mexican wrestling luchador films are something that I've not really delved into. But after listening so far to the, the, the episodes in the month of May, I am kind of intrigued as to start diving in. They sound like a lot of fun, and it's something that I maybe have been missing out on. You had talked in that with Mark about Paul Nash's films and that you hadn't seen a lot of them or weren't as familiar with them. 
I wasn't either, and I recently grabbed the two Screen Factory Blu-ray box sets, Paul Nashi 1 and 2, and I've been enjoying the heck out of these movies. Paul Nashi did like 120-some films, all genre stuff, and, and played just about every type of monster that uh, we all love. A couple of my favorites so far I've watched on that is Horror Rises from the Tomb and Night of the Werewolf, where he plays the recurring role of Waldemar Daninsky. I'm probably butchering that. Um, and he's kind of a Larry Talbot of, uh, Lawrence Talbot of these films, and, and he goes quite a ways through, and, and it's a really cool, believable character. Um, the movies are just pure fun. Uh, the other film I bought, and this was independent, was Inquisition. A great, great witch kind of movie, and has some really cool scenes of the witch's, uh, black mass, and, and, and weird kind of dream logic scenes that, that I really recommend everybody check out. Uh, Rob uh, Barnett of the, the Nashi cast also did the commentary on Inquisition. Great stuff. Keep up the good work. Really enjoying the shows, and, and I'm going to start diving into some of these Mexican films, these Mexican luchador films, because they sound like a blast. Other than that, have a great week, and I'll see you at the Monster Bash. Bye. That was Todd from The Haunted Cinema. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, of course. Uh, we talked about Todd wasn't last week because you weren't here, Bren, but we have had Todd's email on the show before, and I'm looking forward to seeing you at Monster Bash as well, man. That's going to be awesome. I want to talk about the Luchador monster movies. I want to talk about Paul Nashie, but first, Brenda's back. Hi, <laughs> and I have like eight copies of that voicemail on my system now. <laughs> I didn't realize it was downloading every time I pushed the button. I probably should have realized. <laughs> so we have multiple copies of your voicemail on her computer. I don't know what she's going to do with them. I'll just put them in a row and put it on a loop and just listen over and over. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, at this point in the show, people already know that you're back because you've already done the collectibles segment. Oh, which I haven't actually already done. Which we haven't recorded. Yeah, we're kind of doing this out of order. It's the magic of editing. Typically, we do this out of order. I do it a lot out of order. (laughs) (laughs) The Luchador monster movies are so much fun. I have such a blast with them. I, I'm glad people are digging them. Uh, I worry sometimes, and I mentioned this before, uh, and I've gotten some feedback on it privately, that sometimes I worry about doing the theme months that, you know, all I'm doing is wrestling monster movies and that's going to turn people off. Uh, but I've gotten some good feedback, and, and I hope that uh, this has kind of pushed people towards seeing some of these films because I- they're so fun. You looked like you were about to say something. I was, and then the loud motorcycle went by. Stupid traffic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, one, you do monsters as the tie-in, right? Sure. Two, it's your show. (laughs) And I think you're somewhat infectious when you're excited about something. So, I'm infectious. Yes. Your husband is infectious. (laughs) As I know. 19 years later. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't kick you. One more thing about the Luchador Monster movies. I received some comments on Facebook, uh, people wondering where they can see these films. Mm. They're not always the easiest to track down. How do you find them? So for better or worse, a lot of them do turn up on YouTube. I cannot vouch for the uh, copyright status of those on Mm -hmm. YouTube, but... Sometimes that's the only place you're going to see some of these things, unfortunately. Some of them are available online. You can go to Amazon and, and find some of these DVDs and such. Mm-hmm. You can also find a lot of them in the secondary market. Unfortunately, the secondary market sometimes can be pretty pricey. Uh, Steve Sullivan, 
He's been mm-hmm. on the show before. Uh, he got his hands on the double feature that has Champions of Justice in it, which is great. And he got it pretty cheap. It's out of print. Unfortunately, it's super expensive. I don't know where he found a cheap used copy, but good on him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot a lot of times you have to go online. Could I suggest that you add the ones that are available on Amazon to your Amazon list so people could find it easily? Yeah. So look in the show notes and I will try to uh, put whatever links are available, you know, whatever is available out there. I'll try to put links to them. Mm-hmm. I know that I've gotten my hands on some over the years that do not have a subtitled or dubbed track. So I have like two Mil Mascaris films here in Spanish. I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> I mean, they're fun to watch, but yeah. no clue. Anyway, uh, Paul Nashi movies. We keep going back to Paul Nashi here on the show. We keep talking about Paul Nashi and how I don't have a lot of experience with Paul Nashi. I think we mentioned this a couple of weeks back, and people who follow me on Facebook know that I have been going through a lot of our you – know, we've been going through a lot of our stuff, right? We've yes. been kind of downsizing, cleaning, organizing, and, and part of that – Thank goodness. What's that? Thank goodness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> part of that has been revamping my movie collection, going through, seeing what I have, seeing what mm-hmm. I have copies of, doubles of, things like that. And I actually have two Paul Nashi Blu-rays here that I haven't watched I have Vengeance of the Vampires, and I think I've got that werewolf movie that he was talking about. Oh. Uh, I don't know how I ended up with that Blu-ray uh, with both of them, <laughs> but I have them. I have seen Horror Rises from the Tomb. I like that one a lot. I've had a chance to introduce that movie a couple of times at local theaters over the years here. This one is really, really good. Uh, I've had Inquisition on my list for a while. I've been thinking about you know, trying to get my hands on a copy of it, but you know, financially it doesn't make sense right now. Mm-hmm. But I do know that Rod uh, did do the commentary track, which kind of puts it a little bit further up the wish list for me. Right. So, but one of these days I'll get through the Paul Nashy stuff. I, I, those are, there are those two collections out there. Again, they're on the wish list someday, <laughs> you, know, you know, because I'm running out of movies to watch. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks for calling in, man. Uh, and I can't wait to see you at Monster Bash, brother. It's going to be awesome. We have an email. Yes. And this one came in a couple weeks ago. We actually didn't get to it last week because Brenda wasn't Mm. on the show last week. Yeah. But I thought it was a good one. It's from our friend Dominique, who is awesome. And uh, yeah. Hi, Derek. Hi, Dominique. (laughs) (laughs) That was weird, right? Just a little? Mm. Infectious. It was infectious. There we go. (laughs) I've enjoyed the last couple episodes with Mark Peterson. As someone who has been to a shop on multiple occasions, I can definitely attest to how awesome it is. I have an excellent collection of weird Batman stuff because of him. I didn't hear about any controversy. Controversy. I'm leaving this in. No. (laughs) Yes, I am. Controversy. (laughs) I didn't hear. I didn't hear about any controversy. About the Rondos, but given your discussion about it with Brenda during the last episode, I felt like I wanted to give an unpopular opinion about this subject. I'm not really a monster kid. Not really in the commonly accepted sense. I didn't watch horror movies when I was little. I've never liked being scared. Horror is an aesthetic for me. I didn't grow up with the old black and white movies. As soon as I discovered horror movies when I was older, I backtracked and determined that my taste was old school. 
<laughs> and I think that might be a semantic point that crystallizes the heart of the discussion. I can pass for a monster kid with no question, but in my head, I'm not because I didn't grow up with it. For me, people who grow up watching monster movies are monster kids, even if those movies aren't old ones. It used to be that horror movies were about monsters, scary creatures that were not real. More and more modern horror movies are not about monsters. They're about crazy people doing crazy things, usually involving masks and knives. Don't forget the chainsaws. Usually chainsaws. <laughs> power tools of any kind, really. That is the exposure to horror films most kids have now. There are still monster movies out there for people to watch, though. Creative types still love monster movies. But we also have to remember that outside of a few families that are blessed to have parents willing to pass these movies on to their kids, it's not as easy to get those old movies into your life as people think. Sure, there are DVDs and Blu-rays of them out there, but there are also DVDs and Blu-rays of everything. So there are more choices. Many older monster kids have many wonderful stories about staying up all night to watch creature features on TV. The thing is, watching the movies those shows played were your choices. You watched these movies because that was your option. And you saw movies that changed and enriched your life because of it. Nowadays, kids have all the choices in the world. They can choose any horror movie at all. And if they don't have a parent to point to James Whale's Frankenstein and say, hey, that's a really good one, check it out. They simply won't know and will choose whatever Roger Corman produced monstrosity sci-fi, 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 <laughs> whatever it is he says. <laughs> sci-fi made this month. I'll be honest. I know Frankenstein is good, but if I'm 10 years old, I'm choosing Mega Dino Sharktopus in a tornado. Don't forget the tornado. But does that really matter if the kid watches the movie, loves it, and goes out to find more like it, taking the long route to Todd Browning's Dracula? Generations change. As Derek mentioned, many people now consider the post-Night of the Living Dead period the classic age of horror. I disagree with that assessment, but they're not wrong. I think classic isn't as universal a term as people think. Want proof? Ask me my opinion on Gone with the Wind and make sure there's nothing I can throw nearby. Classic really just means the group of things that are important to a certain group. Later generations, mine included, were given a different well of films to grow up on. That doesn't mean they're not monster kids. They still grow up with the same love of monsters as any older monster kid. It just comes from a different place, and I don't think anyone should be excluded because of that. We should be united by a love of monsters, and we should be able to accept it when people don't follow a prescribed path to get to the same place, especially because the movies they introduce you to may be your next great discovery. There's room for everyone. Keep up the good work, Derek and Brenda, and everyone listening, be good to each other. I've been kind of letting this bubble around in my head for, oh. for over a week now because when we got this a couple weeks back, what's your thought on all this? I think Dominique is right that classic depends on what you watched when you were young and what you watched when you were young is different for everybody. What availability, what channels did they have? What were they allowed to watch and not allowed to watch? It's almost like classic is an 
is related to the feeling of nostalgia and everybody's nostalgia will be different. I, think, I, I also see the other side of labeling. This is classic black sure. and white that defines classic, but hmm, from if it's classic related to an individual person, then that's going to be different for everybody. Um, so first of all, if your parents aren't steering you towards James Wales Frankenstein, get new parents. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, though. I think when it comes down to it, classic, good, cheesy, bad, so bad it's good. All these labels have a very flexible definition mm. uh, depending on the context. I remember years ago, near the beginning of the show, uh, I did an episode over at Tom Beagler's place, and he had pitched that we do this topic uh, about you know cheesy movies, and I, I honestly kind of struggled during the conversation, and I feel bad because I feel like I threw Tom off because I kept saying you know is it cheesy or just cheesy in its context? If it's in context, is it really cheesy? And 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 I feel like the same can be said for classic. What is a quote unquote classic film? What is the defining trait? Is it simply the era in which the movie was produced? And I, I wonder if maybe this is something that actually started happening around the 70s and 80s when suddenly media was starting to become available to watch at home or consume or collect. Um, if I can go to comic books real quick, because I know she's also a big Batman fan. When I was growing up reading comic books, there was the golden age. There was the silver age of comics. And that was pretty much well-defined by the era, the time, the year the movies came out. But there was always that argument, what era are we in now? And even now, when I go back and look at comic books today and what I was reading growing up, I don't know what comic book era we're in now. And did the last era ever really get a name anyway? And is it that important? You know, it's just, for me, I have in my head what classic is for, you know, in terms of what the podcast is mm -hmm. about. And as you said earlier, it's my show. <laughs> so <laughs> on Monster Kid Radio, there's certain things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you when you start really diving into it, I feel like the classic term definition kind of loses its, mm -hmm. I don't know, its boundaries, yeah. its barriers. And then right. we start saying instant classic. What does that mean? You know, What is instant classic? Well, you know, sometimes a new movie or a new book will come out and say, well, it's an instant classic. Well, what? how is that an instant classic if it just Because came out? it'll no. be classic in the future? Yeah, who knows? I just feel like it's 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 hard sometimes to put labels on things. It'll retain relevance, right? Mm. So I don't I don't know. I mean, I remember when I uh, worked at a blockbuster video many many moons ago. Uh, one of the assistant managers wanted to put up like a, a cheesy section, just cheesy movies of the month or whatever, and I got offended because she was putting up movies that I really like, and. At that point, because I was a younger person and, and not as secure in my own, I don't know, tastes or whatever, I took her calling my movies cheesy as kind of like an insult. Mm. In retrospect, yeah, sure, I totally get it. Mm. But I don't know. It's just... Like hmm. what movies? I don't even remember, to be oh. honest. I was more upset that she put movies I liked on the wall. I was also really upset that any time I'd get to pick the movie that got played in the store, the minute I went on break, they changed it. So... <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, monster Kid. The term Monster Kid. And Sean mm -hmm. Hode actually brought this up on Facebook, too. He was asking, mm -hmm. you know, what is what is a Monster Kid? Where did the term come from? And there's been some talk over the years. But when we had David Colton on the show, the guy who started the Rondos, we talked about this essay that he wrote 
years ago uh, for an AOL forum. And wow. Every year he reposts it somewhere online. It's over at the Classic Horror Film Board. Kerry Gamble had it over on his website. And in it, he pretty much defines what a monster kid is by saying he is a monster kid. We are the monster kids. We're the ones that grew up watching these movies. So I suppose if we're looking at strict definitions, no, I'm not a monster kid either because I didn't grow up during that era. I, I sometimes mm. refer to myself as a second generation monster kid. Well, so do you get to be a monster kid, though, because that was what was on your public access or whatever? So you grew up watching those as well? Kind of. I mean, I didn't stay up late at night fiddling with my rabbit ears on my TV to watch the, the shock theater package. You oh. know, I didn't make the Aurora models. So technically, am I? Am I, I don't know. I, I feel like that I am. I, I I I wear that badge. I sometimes say I'm a second generation. Uh, lately, I've been using the phrase "Monster Kid X" uh, because I'm also part of Generation X. So I'm kind Are of. Are you bl- Gen X? Yeah, I am. Oh. Technically, yeah. But again, that's also another label thing, right? Right. <laughs> but if you look at the guy who kind of came up with the terms millennial, Generation X, Generation Z, baby boomers and all that, I was born in the era that makes me Generation X. Mm. So I've been kind of combining the two. And I keep meaning to maybe do a series on YouTube about being Monster Kid X or maybe even a book. I don't know. So my phrase, don't steal it. Uh, <laughs> um, but I know I'm not one of the original Monster Kids. What's awesome is that I have yet to run into any of the original Monster Kids who look down at us second or third generation Monster Kids. Mm. I go to Monster Bash, and yeah, I see the people who grew up watching this stuff, the people who created the convention. Uh, Ron Adams is an original Monster Kid, but never, ever have I seen anybody at Monster Bash. Oh, those those kids, they don't know what it's, you know, they don't. <laughs> you know, we have plenty of choices, sure, and we didn't have to fight as hard to find the movie sometimes, but I've never felt like I've been judged for that. It's probably not well, what Dominique was getting at. But. No, and it's, well, I don't know. I think when they came out, they were probably easier to find. When you were young, maybe some of them were playing on TV. Well, I think the issue nowadays is, that just doesn't seem to exist anymore. Maybe in like rural towns or whatever, but I think you would have to specifically seek this out. You wouldn't stumble across it on most TV unless mm-hmm. you find one of the occasional horror hosts. We're lucky because here in Portland, if I really tried over the course of a week, I think I could probably see four different horror host programs on TV. Mm. Uh, it's Fanguli on MeTV, and then there's a few other things. Something does turn up on public access every once in a while. Um, I can't remember the woman's name, but there's a, a, a vampy character that does some stuff that I can catch if I if I really watch the, the channel listings. But yeah, I, I think you're right. It's not like you know, they just go into regular rotation. And that's thing. not going to be the trending on YouTube. No. Either. So well, not yet. I'm so It either on that. has to be a parent to, you know, or a pass it on type thing or a stumble across it type thing. I'm hopeful, and maybe this really isn't this conversation, but I'm hopeful that with the stuff that I'm going to be doing on YouTube, I'll be bringing some of that. You to- think, do you think you're going to appeal to 12 year olds, 15 year olds? Not necessarily, <laughs> but I feel like I will appeal to the parents of those kids or the older brothers of those kids. Because of the things that I'm into and the things that I'm going to bring. I feel like if you go to YouTube and you look up classic monster movies, you're not going to find a lot of, I feel like, respectful or reverent stuff. There's a lot of let's trash it. There's a lot of let's bash it. Let's make fun of it. 
uh, that sort of thing. And I feel like I'm going to bring a different perspective. But again, this is probably way off what she's getting on. How are you going to be relevant to a younger population? I don't know. But I'm working. I'm going to figure something out. Okay. That's something I want to work toward. So I have to say that my favorite monster movies are the human monster because I feel like that's the situation I'm likely to encounter in the real world. That's the situation that I'm scared of. <laughs> sure. Screwed up people trying to screw me up. With masks and kitchen tools. No, I prefer the ones where they're like psychologically. Yeah. I think the horror landscape, and I don't know what it's like right now. Dominique would know a lot better than I do um, what contemporary or modern horror looks like right now because I don't watch a lot of the stuff that comes out now. And even, you know, to go back to like the zombie stuff or the post-apocalyptic stuff, I just don't have a lot of interest in watching it. We missed a movie because I didn't push hard enough to accommodate you wanting to see The Quiet Place, which mm, is supposed man. to be amazing. But Yes, you know, I, I, just, I really wanted to see that. Yeah. You know, I'm a terrible husband and didn't get you to go see it. I didn't take you. Well, I... 19 years, huh? <laughs> I didn't push because all the times we could have gone i was either not feeling well or you were very busy right i don't know i mean i i totally understand david colton's point of view now that it doesn't have to necessarily be a movie from the 50s to be eligible or relevant for the rondo awards mm. I, I i really came around to it over the years at first so i could see the backlash i'm like no you can't you know and really if you want to look at the rondos there are more con there are, there are worse things you can find controversies with other things out there mm. I mean, the rondo is pretty above board about almost everything so i don't think you got anything yeah anyway i, I don't know where to go from there we're going to wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> we don't have anything else, right? That's true. That's pretty much it for, for feedback. Thanks for being part of the show again, and, and mm. uh, thanks for pushing through to be on it this time around. It's been difficult the past few weeks as we get ready for me to go to Monster Bash, mm. and we just try to get our life in order mm -hmm. for some potential changes coming up. Mm -hmm. um, I've got some health things that, that will happen mm. uh, probably yeah. at, uh, after Monster Bash may even impact the release of the show but it's true they said a week downtime right yeah so we'll we'll see um mm -hmm. it, it's to take care of that infectious stuff <laughs> you know it's gonna take a week to I get the know. infectious out i like you infectious <laughs> that brings us to the end of this episode of monster kid radio as well as the end of lucha de mayo 2018 I am so impressed with myself. I'm actually able to say Mayo instead of Mayo now. I don't screw it up, but it is the end of the month. I'm sure that by the time Lucha de Mayo comes around next year, I'll start saying Mayo again and, and catch a little grief for it. Anyway, Lucha de Mayo has been a blast for me. I, I've had so much fun talking with old friends and new, talking about these Luchador monster movies. You know, Brenda had a really good idea. So if you head over to the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net, look at the show description. You're going to see that I've put in some links that'll take you to Amazon where you can buy some of the movies that we've talked about here during Lucha de Mayo. Not all of them are there because not all of them are traditionally available through Amazon. However, I did put a few there, as well as a couple of books that I used for reference and that PBS documentary, which is really good. And if you're going to buy the movies, please consider using those links that you're going to find in the show notes because I get a teeny tiny kickback on that from Amazon. 
Also on our website, you're going to find all of our contact information, like our email address. It's monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And our voicemail line, which is at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. Everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio is right there. There's a link to our tea public shop if you want to buy a Monster Kid Radio t-shirt. You can do that. If you want to buy an iBreak for Monsters bumper sticker, you can do that by following the link over there in the show notes. It's just everything you need to know about the show. It's all right there, including links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group. Please consider liking the page and joining the group. And if you're a fellow podcaster, you can also click on where it says promos and download all the promos that you want from Monster Kid Radio to drop into rotation over on your show. And if you're going to do that, let me know so I can return the favor. What's coming up next week? Well, we're getting out of Lucha de Mayo. We need to get back to some of the other monster movies, alien movies, sci-fi movies that we like here on Monster Kid Radio. And we're going to do that by visiting Japan. We're going to go to Toho. But we're not talking about a kaiju film, although I guess technically there is a kaiju in it. I'm talking about 1957's The Mysterians. The Mysterians! The Mysterians! The Mysterians! You are now inside a flying saucer. Our destination, the planet Earth. We are the Mysterians. Our race is old, dying, our planet dead. Only you of Earth, you and your women, can give us life. And what we want, we take. The Mysterians, the greatest science fiction picture man's imagination ever conceived. The Mysterians, swooping down from outer space, blowing up from the lower depths. The Mysterians, creatures who knew the uttermost secrets of the atom before our planet was born. Love-hungry spacemen come to seize our women that their dying race may live. It started in the east, soon it swept the west. The all-out horror of interplanetary war. See giant robots, no earthly weapon can destroy, rip a path of destruction across the land. See the forces of nature harnessed to the invader's will, wipe entire cities from the face of the world. See the earth itself crumble beneath your feet. The Mysterians, threatening our civilization with weapons beyond the belief of modern science. Flying ray guns that blast everything before them. An impregnable fortress that hides in the earth. Gamma rays that melt the heaviest armament. As men and machines disintegrate before Period. you, what power can stop their ruthless advance? See the blazing holocaust of an Earth gone mad. See on the giant screen in flaming color. Yeah, there is a, a kaiju thing in it, a, a mech, I guess. Is it a kaiju? Is it a mech? Yeah, I don't remember. I actually recorded this episode with Byron Craft over a month ago, and I've been sitting on it, and I can't wait to share it with you guys and gals because it was a lot of fun. Byron is an author that I met through the HP Lovecraft Film Festival and through Sean Hode because he and Sean are friends. Sean introduced me. Byron is a really cool guy and has some really cool books under his belt. Check out his work on Amazon. And, you know, speaking of Amazon, I'm going to go back to those buttons, those links that I have in the show notes. If you don't own the Mysterians yet and you want to watch it before next week's episode, you can buy it through the website. And again, we get that little kickback, like five cents, maybe enough to buy a cup of Kaiju coffee. Has anybody ever made Kaiju coffee? There needs to be Kaiju coffee. Anyway, that's what's coming up next week. It's going to be a blast. I hope to have you back here in seven days. And tell you what, I'll do everything within my power to make sure it actually comes out on time next week. However, um, while I was editing this episode of the show, Brenda and I got some news regarding some extended family that 
uh, I, I don't want to get into it too much right now because we don't know a lot of details, but uh, just so you guys and gals know, there are some things coming up before Monster Bash that, that could impact the release schedule. Hopefully not too much, but I'll keep everybody posted at least through Facebook. I'll try to remember to do it on Twitter as well. Maybe even on YouTube. Oh yeah, we have that YouTube channel. I've mentioned it a couple of times. Look up Monster Kid Radio on YouTube. Please consider subscribing to the YouTube channel. And if you stay tuned over there, Probably early next week, I'll be posting a new video where I talk about some of my favorite movies in very specific genres. It was inspired by a meme that was making its way around Facebook a few months ago. You know, name your favorite vampire movie, zombie movie, and so on. Well, I did that, but I did it on YouTube. So that'll be next week as well. Just all sorts of Monster Kid Radio content for you to enjoy. While you're enjoying it all, remember, though, that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Breakout. That belongs to the band The Apaches. They're based out of Phoenix, Arizona, or you can find them at theapaches.bandcamp.com and check out their album, The Apaches Take Off. Man, I love their cover art. Their album art is really cool. I love the colors and I love the art style. It's almost as cool as the music. This album that it comes from, 11 tracks, 10 bucks. It's a heck of a deal and a heck of a steal. And if you go to their website at theapachesband.com, you're going to see that they've got some upcoming events in Arizona. June 19th, they're playing with the Vaughn Howlers in Scottsdale. On June 24th, they're playing in Phoenix. They've got an album release party in July, and in August, they're playing with Surfer Joe and the Surfside 4 in Phoenix. Check them out and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook. Talk to you next week. Ciao.